This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, gone. Go hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy and blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. And boy, I got to tell you, thank God for this guy. Thank God for all of you. We are lucky to be on the air today. (laughs) As you see the background behind us, that means we're in San Francisco, NBC Sports, California today, as the great Brody Brazil has called in sick, so... They obviously call me, and we've got to scramble and make it happen. So we were not planning to be here today. We're planning to be at the friendly confines of the Oakland A's travel studio. And uh, we found ourselves having to drive up uh, 280 today. And 280-101 to the 280 extension. And we are in San Francisco. We made it. We're here. He was a little panicked. I got to say, Commander is not, you know, if there was ever, as much as I trust Commander Cody with so many different things, I would not trust him if, like, we were in a war and it was time to decide whether to push the panic button or not. (laughs) Commander Cody wouldn't be that guy. He wouldn't be my John Elway. He wouldn't be my Joe Montana. I, I would not trust Commander Cody. Two minutes left, we got to drive the length of the field and score a touchdown. Now, will I trust him in the first quarter, the second quarter, halftime, into the third quarter? Yes. Fourth quarter, you would not be my guy at quarterback. That's okay. I, I can live with that. Yeah, but first three quarters, you're great. When the pressure really gets on and the panic, and you know some guys panic, I'm a little afraid you're hitting the button and the missiles are flying. Uh. A lot of it today was not because of you or I getting here. It's I don't trust other people. I mean, you can't trust barrier traffic. I mean, I mean whatever it that. is, I, I told you we'd get here. Uh, you were a little panicked. So what do we have on the program today? So we got Ben Shulman, the son of Dan Shulman, yeah. our good friend. Uh, Dan's on vacation this week. So he said, hey, 
Vacation? Who's all these people taking vacation during baseball season? Oh, hey, well, I mean, when you when you're when you're Dan Schulman, you can take as many vacations Jeez. as you want. He does how many? He works year round. So, uh, his son Ben, who's doing radio for the Blue Jays this weekend, will be on with us at one thirty. Yeah, we're gonna have uh, Dave Stewart, uh, who's gonna have be. You heard doing, of him? He's gonna be doing TV with you uh, today. He'll be here at two fifteen. We'll have Eno Eno Saris around two thirty, two thirty five, and then Mark Kotze at three o'clock. Uh, today as we get you ready for A's Blue Jays because you have to be on TV at 3.30. A's Total Access brought to you by Chevron will be at 3.25 with the great Alex Jensen today. So, yeah, Mark Kotze, we recorded today at 11 o'clock in a panic knowing that we had to get up here. So it's great that uh, Kotze was able to get on with us from the Rogers Center. I still call it the Sky Dome. You can call it the Rogers Center. This is an interesting matchup. Because Chris Bassett is on the mound, and it's just not because, I mean, I'm he's now been gone for a while. And I love Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett, when he got this contract, I texted him, congratulations to him and his family. I've known Bassett for a long, long time. We've had a really good relationship. I'm nothing but happy for him. Everything that he went through with Tommy John surgery, and we yo-yoed him. You know, remember, we've, we utilized a extra year to send him back to AAA, if you remember back in 2019, and the news came down, he was angry. We were at the Sky Dome in Japan, and I remember doing an interview with him. I remember an old PR guy was, like, listening behind. An old PR guy literally was listening behind the door of where we were doing it, and after I was done, he's like, you can't air that. I went, "You first of all, you can't tell me what to do, and I am airing it. And I even went to David Forrest, and one of the things I've always loved about our general manager, he's always been so honest. I said, David, this is what Chris Bassett had to say. He's not happy about this fourth year. It's because of injury, because he missed a year with Tommy John. That gave the A's, because, you know, you can only yo-yo a guy three times, three years, right? So uh, it was a fourth year because of injury that they were able to send him back down. And David Forrest like, I understand he's angry. I totally understand. I don't have a problem with it. And – but I remember telling Chris Bassett, go down there and do your thing because you'll be back and you mean a lot. You'll mean a lot to this. Because I, I knew how much Bob Melvin valued Chris Bassett and what he meant and what he was going to mean because he's a talent. Just the Tommy John surgery. Chris Bassett went down, worked hard, came back. The rest is history. He's now a multi-multi-millionaire. He's had the career that he has had. Obviously, he was a great athletic. Uh, feast or famine right now. When you look at Chris Bassett starting in wins versus losses, as the notes say today for Seabass, all or nothing. So you look at Chris Bassett this year, in the seven starts Toronto has lost that he's been on the mound, he's 0-5 with a 10 ERA. That's not good. In the games that... Toronto has won eight starts. They've won that he has started. He's seven and zero with a zero point nine four. Talk about reverse splits. Ten or zero point nine four. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, very much so. And that wasn't even the most you know. Not to go off of the Chris Bassett train here, but that wasn't even the most alarming stat I've seen on the notes today. I know we'll get to it, but this one right here, which is that's just after what the the. Uh, Adjustments they made at the Rogers Center to see that. Yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. looking for his first home run 
once again, I'll call it the Sky Dome. He's been <laughs> terrible at home. 239 and 31 home games. I mean, this is that does that go back to look at the back of the baseball card? That that old expression means nothing. Yeah, if I'm dealing with Stan Musial or Willie Mays, I I, I get that. I, but I'm not dealing with Stan Musial or Willie Mays or Ted Williams. I'm not dealing with, like, you could say that for Albert Pujols for the majority of his career or Miguel Cabrera if you want to go more, more modern times. This guy's still young in his career. He is not having a good year. I mean, I'm looking at Matt Chapman's numbers. By the way, Matt Chapman in the month of June is hitting 206. And that's where you would say, that's interesting, Chris. What did he hit in May? Probably not as not as, not much better. You're supposed to ask me. How much? How do you hit? In, how do you hit in May, Chris? Uh, two oh two. How about April? Well, we know how good he was. Oh, April. He, April. He had three seventy three seventy two in April. April. He's Mike. He was Michael Jack Schmidt. I mean, he was like he was like Wade Boggs and Mike Schmidt combined. You know, he's one of the guys that's uh, up for potentially start the All Star game. He's one of the finalists at third base with Josh uh, Josh Young. I do not have a problem with it. There's five Blue Jays that are in it. Right I do now. not have a problem with it. I do not have a problem. You know what? This is the fans' game. This is an exhibition. It's for us, the fans of baseball. It has always been this way. If you're old enough to remember, the only way you were able to vote is you had to go to games. That's why it meant so much. Back in the day, getting elected to the All Star game meant a lot because. You were voted in by fans that were at Major League Baseball games. Not random kids sitting on his computer voting as many times as he can. People who actually had to pay to get into the ballpark are voting for you. So if somebody was old and didn't have the numbers anymore and got voted in, it's out of respect. Back in the day, the fans truly vote. Fans that went to games, you have so many... Hundreds of thousands of people who vote for this thing who will never step inside a Major League Baseball stadium this year. So the vote obviously is different. We want to get onto people's computers on their phones and wanted everybody. So you know what? This is a system you created. We still want it to be about the fans. I want it to be about the fans. And you know what? That's, that's one of the perks of playing for the Blue Jays. You've got a whole country <laughs> behind you. But then again... That's one of the perks of not being in California. When you are the Colorado Rockies, you have the entire state and the entire region voting for you. When you're a St. Louis Cardinal, you have the entire state and the entire region voting for you. That's the perks of not being in a state where you got a bunch of different teams. Because when you're in the Bay Area, you got the A's, you got the Giants. When you're down in Southern California, Chicago, New York, it's split. But if you're in a big area and you own that area, the perk that you have, and the Blue Jays have that. Now that there's no Montreal Expos, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Was it 16? 15 or 16, Josh Donaldson set the record for most votes ever in an all-star game as uh, the third baseman of the Toronto Blue Jays where he would, as I predicted, win an MVP, and he did. What year was that? Uh, let me see. It was one of those, so you're right. Because he left after 14. It had to be, I want to say 2016. Um, 2015, he got 
Wow. 14 million. That's his first year with the Blue Jays. The previous record was owned by Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton got the most votes? Yeah. Playing for who? Probably the Rangers? Yeah. You know not, not not Angels Josh Hamilton. Not that, Cincinnati Red Josh Hamilton. Not Devil Ray Josh Hamilton. Oh, Devil Rays. Don't go there. Uh, do, you, do you know who was the leading vocator this year so far? Shohei Otani. No. Ronald Acuna Jr. He has over $3 million. Uh I'm going to say rightfully so. He's one of the best players in baseball, one of the most dynamic players in baseball. Yeah, and Otani has like 2.6 million votes, I think is what I saw, and Acuna's at 3 million. But if, if you take Otani's pitching out, who would you rather have, him or Ronald Acuna Jr.? Well, Otani doesn't steal bases anymore, so yeah. And Otani doesn't play in the field. Yeah, I, I would go Ronald. But Otani would play in the field. If the, and Otani's a great athlete. And I got to think, obviously, he has a great arm. He throws 100 miles an hour. I mean, if if Shohei Otani was not a pitcher and he was, I mean, I know people would just immediately want to put him in right field. What if Otani, he has the skills to play center? What if he's a 6'5", hitting bombs, throwing ropes, Robin, he's basically Ken Griffey. What, what was Griff? My my good friend Ken. Kenny. Was he 6'3"? Griffey was... 6'2", 6'3"? Griffey was... 6'3". 6'3". So this guy's 6'5". It's two inches. I mean, that's not dramatic, but... Can you imagine a 6'5 center fielder hitting 40 bombs? Robin, I mean, maybe 50 bombs. Shohei Otani saw that, but but Ronald Acuna, I mean, that's how good Ronald Acuna Jr. We saw him recently in Oakland. Ronald Acuna Jr., like everybody wants that Juan Soto. I, I'd take I'd take Ronald Acuna Jr. over Juan Soto any day of the week. Uh, Ronald this year, 3.7 war, uh, 324 average, 15 home runs, 46 runs driven in, 32 steals. So you look, he could be on pace What's for – What's he on runs scored? Runs scored. How many 64. runs? 64. He scored 64 runs. How many RBIs does he have? Uh, 46. And he's a he's hit a lot of leadoff. Yeah, he leads in the he leads the NL in steals, runs scored, and plate appearances. Oh, and total bases. You don't want that guy. And he's only 25. You don't want that guy. I, I think, and he's on a very team friendly deal. And beyond his antics, by the way, did you hear the call of uh, Ozuna's home run and the? Uh, Basically, the Phillies broadcasters calling him Bush League as he rounded third. I, him and him and Wash and their little handshake. Oh no! I thought you were going to ask me if I saw that. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask. I thought you were going to ask Bush me, League. If you're, Bush League. I thought you were going to say, "Did you see what happened with Wander Franco and how he got benched for how he expresses, expresses the, his frustrations?" By the way, I'm not happy about that. Well, selfishly, I'm selfishly. <laughs> when I saw that news, I, I for the first time in my life. I joined a lot of you out there. I became let the kids play. Let the kids play. Is he a little immature? Does he need a lot to learn to be a professional? He's 22. Got plenty of time to learn. I agree. <laughs> I agree. He needs to play every day. I don't want any days off for Wander Franco. He's healthy. And that's what the uh, that's what the Rays need. And so do you. So I need him. Especially with that big slob from Houston still on the DL. IL. IL. <laughs> yes, Wander Franco is on my fantasy team. And when I saw that news, that uh, he's immature. 
Well, you knew he was immature when you gave him the contract. It's not like all of a sudden he signed the contract and all of a sudden he, he's now a mature guy. He's been immature. And let's face it, there's a lot of 22-year-olds who are very mature. Yeah. I wasn't one of them, but there are a lot of there, – there are a, a lot of 22-year-olds. There's a lot of people in their early 20s who act very professional, very responsible, and are highly successful. So we, we throw age out there all the time. It's not fair. It's not fair to the for the people who are great at an early age because we always go, ah, he's young. What? There's a way to act, and there's a way not to act. There's plenty of 22-year-olds who are very mature. Wander Franco just isn't one of them. But since he's on my fantasy team, <laughs> suck it up, Kevin Cash, and put him in the damn lineup. Yeah, as, as we take this all full circle back to the Jays, uh, what I was getting <laughs> Always at. Always <laughs> comes back to the host. And get that slob, Jordan Alvarez. <laughs> what? Put the fork down and start getting on a better diet and get in shape and be the run producer we need you to be this season. Yeah, the Astros are. Well, they, 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 they're not the same without yeah, him. That's true. Bregman's not hitting either. Either is L2. Remind me, Robbie Manfred, about his conversation about the Astros. Will you remind me on that? Well, yeah, I have it on the playbook. Yeah. Woo! Uh, but full circle. Woo! Good host always brings it back. We said this is bogus. Giving these guys immunity is absolutely bogus. We said it on this show. And by the way, we are a show show that's owned by a Major League Baseball team. I'll, 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 I'll throw it out there. The stuff we talked about was a little uncomfortable for people. Now, oh. no, no one told us to stop, but we knew it was a little uncomfortable because, you know, it's like I, today here at NBC they have Starbucks coffee. We're all basically a Starbucks. So it's basically one Starbucks was really highly critical of another Starbucks, highly frowned upon. But we said, listen, we're going to stand our ground on this. We're not saying anything that's not being reported. We're not trying to break any news. We're giving commentary. We are a talk show. It's a multimedia talk show that you can watch, you can listen to, and we are going to be honest about the situation that happened in Houston in 2017. They're obviously getting fined $5 million. The general manager lost his job. The manager lost his job. So clearly baseball thought there was a problem, and we're going to address it, and we did. Made people uncomfortable, but we did. And we talked about, wait a minute, how are you going to give the bank robbers immunity? By giving them immunity, you basically said it was okay to rob the bank, to commit the crime, to take the money, which is winning the World Series and getting the ring, and being good. But all you got to do is tell us what happened and, and, and all is forgiven. So the bank robbers got to commit the crime and keep the goods that they robbed, and they got away with it just by ratting out the front office, which still to this day, front office people do not want to take full responsibility, and they still are like, wait, hey, whoa, the players were doing it. This is Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran, and it's the lower-level employees that did it. Well, the lower-level employees got to keep their jobs, got to keep the money, they got to keep the World Series rings, and now Rob Manfred is finally admitting, eh, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Yeah, when I saw that article uh, put out by, uh, was it Evan Drellick? 
our good friend who yeah. covered the whole Astros cheating scandal. With Phenomenal. Evan Drellick, who used to be with the Houston Chronicle, now with the Athletic. I don't know if he what that's real journalism. You want real journalism where I've called out some of the journalism lately that's been going on around us. What Evan Drellich did did with with Ken Rosenthal on the Athletic, the Houston situation, that was real journalism. And he was in the market. He told the truth about everything, whether it made some people uncomfortable or not uncomfortable. It could because there was there were times where you know, it wasn't just all hammering the Astros. He gave what was exactly happening, and it was honest, and it was great journalism. That was real journalism right there. And he wrote a book, Winning Fixes Everything. We had him on last year when the book came out. Uh, we started reading it. It was very fascinating, yeah. um, this, everything he covered with them. But he wrote the piece in The Athletic about Rob Manfred's comments because Manfred, I guess, talked to Time Magazine about the immunity and all that. So that's where yeah. that kind of came from. So. But Evans, him and Ken Rosenthal, it was mainly him, but Ken was a part of it too. They did a great job covering this whole story. Because I remember when this was all going down, I remember we were going to have uh, Reed Ryan on, who was the president of the Astros at the time. And then literally all this stuff came out. I was like, well, I think I'm going to have to cancel this one. And he yeah. was like, oh, no, like I'm still going to do it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, no, I'm canceling on my end. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, but you know what Manfred did? He's going to say that now. But really what he did and, you know, we don't like commissioners. Doesn't matter the sport. We don't like commissioners. Yeah, Gary Bettman gets booed every time he goes anywhere. We don't like commissioners. They've just made a controversial call about what they're going to be doing with uh, certain jerseys in the NHL. Yeah, they came up to where they're yesterday. going. The NHL is like, you know what? We're just going to wear what the team wears. We're going to stop with all the stuff that's outside of hockey bringing it into hockey, it's essentially it's 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 marketing people have brought things into the game and it's now gotten uncomfortable. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. It's not the players. It's not the – it's not the um, – I was about to say baseball ops, but they don't have baseball ops in hockey. The uh, hockey – who – it's not the people who are around the team who have brought all these things to the team. So what they're now, you're going to start league, see leagues doing, saying, you know what, just stick to playing the games and promoting the games. And hockey's really the first ones who are – baseball's kind of said that, but hockey's the first one going, yeah, we're all just going to stay in our lane and play hockey. Speaking of hockey, uh, Patrick Marlowe hired back by the uh, Sharks to be a coach. The player development, I think, something like that. Front office. There you go. There's your Sharks news. Draft a week away. Less than a week. I mean, there's some kind. Of, there's something controversial going on in our neck of the woods, uh, not here in San Francisco. San Francisco has enough controversial stuff going on right now. Uh, in our neck of the woods, something about SAP Center and they need parking or something. They're going to get rid of the park next to SAP Center. Uh, I'd have to look into that one. There's something going on. I don't know. I've been getting these uh, news alerts. Um, but anyway, again, still full circle back to the. Blue yeah, Jays. where was I talking about? Yeah, uh, I was going to say the Jays have five guys that are up that are in the, for the final voting of the yeah. All-Star game. Can you name who they are? Uh, They're all position players. This isn't pitchers. Yeah, you can't. Um, I'm going to go Matt Chapman, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Not Dante, but Bo Bichette. Uh, last, if you get these last two. You told me Kevin Kiermeyer. Yep, that's – can you get the last one? Friend of the program. Two-hit wit. Another guy on base. my fantasy team. At second base. Yeah, so I, there's the five. Speaking of my, my fantasy's big today. Yeah, two-hit wit. 
Although, Jay, I mean, they got all these guys in for a team that's 10 games out of first place. But, hey, hey, hey if they played in the AL Central, they'd be in first. It's, it's the benefit of being in Toronto. We'll, we'll talk to a former World Series champion with the Toronto Blue Jays today. Oh, that's perfect, yeah. I, I, I Dave just, Stewart. Yeah. Dave Stewart will tell you he loved, like, yesterday on A's post-game live or pre-game live, he was talking about his days in Toronto. His tor- Toron- Toron- his, if you've never been, folks, you got to get there. It's an international city. Beautiful city. Don't go in the winter. Uh, beautiful city. Everything you want. I mean, any type of food. I mean, it's a great city. Dave Stewart will tell you about And those teams were phenomenal. They're pretty good. Oh, my God. You got Robbie Alomar. You've got Joe Carter. The great Devon White out in center. John Olerud. Ricky Henderson so shows when I, up. When I think of great Blue Jays, I think Ricky. Paul Molitor. And then after, well, it's Dave Winfield, Hall of Famer at DH. Then they had Paul Mulder, Hall of Famer at DH. You had guys like David Cohn, uh, Jimmy Key. They had all kinds. Juan Guzman, Hinky and Ward in the bullpen. Don't make me go off on the early night. That's a little too early for your time. Isn't when uh, the is early '90s? J- Kelly Gruber at third. Is that when? Uh, is that where Al Leiter started this career? Was it Al a Blue Jay? No, Al Al started as a New York Yankee. But was, was, who yeah, that's they? poor Al Leiter knowledge by you. Al Leiter was a Yankee. Oh, okay. But he was on the Blue Jays when they won the World Series. What I was but he wasn't a prominent. He wasn't a prominent guy until he – He wasn't a prominent player in our game until really Florida. Yeah, he, he's, he got the World Series. He was on the 93 team. Yeah, but he wasn't like – he, he had 105 innings. He got a ring, right? He was a four – he started in what, four games? Uh, he started in 12 games, 34 games overall. No, no, no. Game started – oh, 12 games. Yeah. yeah, he started in 12. He wasn't a prominent player. But he got a ring, yeah. But it was really 97 is Al Leiter yeah. when he gets a ring with the uh, – one of the great – by the way, the Marlins team right now is the best Marlins team since the 1997 Marlins. Yeah, they're pretty good. There's that, that Arise guy, the next uh, – the modern day – not going to say Ted Williams. like everyone, He's Tony Gwynn, like you said. MLB – Serious XM radio. I, I don't know if today was like the main guys have a day off, but they had guys on today. A guy literally compared Luis Arise, who's having a great run. I would do nothing but love to watch him go for 400. That would be awesome to watch. And to watch, you know, I've, I've been to the ballpark in Miami. To watch the Marlins stay hot and be in this thing and truly battle the Braves so it's not the Mets with the highest payroll of all time. I'm loving watching that fall apart. It's not the Phillies who are very, very flawed. They're not hitting their way out of this one. If it was the Marlins and the Braves, it would be a great story for baseball. And to have a rise really take a shot at hitting 400 – when batting average has been thrown under the bus and everybody told you batting average didn't happen and our game truly became a three true outcome, strikeout, walk, home run game, to watch a guy be celebrated hitting for average and being such a productive player, he's having an incredible year. I mean, he's one of the top guys hitting with runners in scoring uh, runners in scoring position. He's been a huge run producer. He leads on base. It would be phenomenal for the game of baseball. I would root for it, arise. But someone actually called him, hey, he's modern-day Ted Williams. Do you not understand? We got too many people now who are getting into position that don't understand the history of this game. 
Uh, you're talking about a man that was one of the greatest sluggers in the history of the game. Luis Arise will never be known as a slugger. When you look at who would be the modern-day Ted Williams, that would be one Barry Bonds. When you look at numbers of on-base slug, there's only guys like Ruth, Bonds, Ted Williams. They're, they're in the echelon, and I know Barry is not in the Hall of Fame. But if he was, there's an upper echelon of Hall of Famers. There's the Hall of Famers, and then there's this select few that are up here that did things that nobody else ever did. They put up numbers nobody else did. And now what's great about watching guys watch video and go, man, do you see the way Ted Williams, the bat speed he had with a bat that big? Oh, could he hit today? I don't know. Do you think Ted Williams could hit James Caprillion? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards yes. I think so. Yeah. Uh, do not compare Luis Arise to to Ted Williams. That's that's ridiculous. But I would totally champion him going for 400. Do we have him from the Rogers Center? Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, uh, wonderful. How are you? It's so great to have you on from Canada. How's everything going in the Great White North, as we like to call it? Everything is good. It's a uh, it's predictably rainy today. It's actually been a pretty nice summer, but uh, it's going to be a roof closed day up here, unfortunately. I think, but uh, everything is good. Blue Jays had a long trip, so I think fans excited to have them back in Toronto and back playing in front of the fans. Yeah, I got to tell you, when I'm looking at the notes going into today, I was pretty shocked. And obviously, a lot of A's fans and baseball fans here in the Bay Area are not going to know this, but Jays have hardly played at home this year. Now that's that's like a bad thing to start, but that kind of like, as we know, everything averages out. So when I look at the Jays right now at 41 and 35, not off to the start you want, but this this has to mean that you've got a ton of backloaded games that are going to be at home. Yeah, I kind of think it's like having a week 12 bye week or something like that. You don't yeah. want it at the beginning of the season, and then all of a sudden you're a lot more rested than the other teams that you're playing against. The Blue Jays have played 44 games on the road already this year. It's a lot, a lot of games and some tough spots. They were just in – you were talking about Luis Arise. They were just in Miami before that in Texas, before that in Baltimore, and at least two of the three of those teams, if not all three, are going to make the playoffs. So I think for the Blue Jays – there's especially a window coming up here before we get to the all-star break where they play at home a lot and not against their own division a ton. And as all of baseball has seen, the AL East has been, has been pretty tough this year to pick up wins against other teams. So to have this stretch coming up where they get to play a lot at home, a lot out of the division, I think will be you know a chance for a big run here to change the record. Yeah, we talked about that a lot early because – when you look at the best winning percentage in the wild card era for divisions, if you go back to 01-02, the all-time leaders are the AL West, and that's back when you had the A's are winning. I mean, the Mariners won 116 games, and the A's won 102. Think about that. They're the wild card team at 102 wins, and the Angels were good. So 01-02 was the best we've ever seen as a division winning percentage. But right now, this AL East is about to break that, and they would be the best winning percentage. And and I just look at the Jays, won 31 of 50 games against non-AL East. We talked about it. It's like the rest of baseball is going to have the AL East unleashed on them as you guys don't play as many games against each other. Just talk about that, how the Jays have been loving not playing the in the AL East. 
Yeah, it's it's a mix of, you know, they've played incredibly well outside of the division and not very well in it. I mean, there is no team, you know, in the division right now with a worse in-division record than the Toronto Blue Jays, who are 7-17 seven and 17 against divisional opponents. So uh, beyond any other year where, you know, typically the division's tough. The Red Sox, the Yankees are spending about as much as anyone you're going to see. The Rays have been about the class of baseball, at least in the regular season, for a long time now. So I think the ability to not have to play those teams 19 times a year, to not play the Yankees, then the Rays, then even, you know, a pesky Red Sox team at the bottom of the division. It allows the Blue Jays to be favored in a lot more series than they typically would. I do think there are some people here who miss the rivalries a little bit. As you guys know, you know, there's something special about the teams you play in your division, especially when, you know, teams are really competitive and you're fighting for that division crown. I don't think the Blue Jays and, and Yankees, who are jostling in third and fourth, will play against each other again until September. But I think the Blue Jays are not complaining right now with how good the division is. The fact that they can, you know, even take on a team like Miami, who's good, but just is not necessarily at the level of some of the teams that you're going to find in the AL East. I think it provides a bit of a breather from what's otherwise a gauntlet division. Yeah, we. Well, I mean, we've talked about how, I mean, there there is a legitimate case that you're going to have somebody's somebody's got to win the AL Central. I hate to tell everybody that, but somebody's going to win it. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a battle out here out west. Uh, Texas has a stronghold right now, but Houston, uh, and you can't, can't knock them out. Angels are still in it. But all the wild card teams could be from the East. And so that's what's so interesting about your guys' division because we knew Baltimore's getting better. Baltimore didn't really do anything in the offseason. They got Cole Irvin from the A's but really didn't do that much. But here Baltimore is kind of shocking. They're the ones in second place. Yeah, they have been phenomenal. And the funny thing is, you know, they picked up Cole Irvin from the A's. I loved that move. It hasn't necessarily worked out for them so far. They haven't had a ton of consistent starting pitching, but one through nine in that lineup is just like 850 OPS, 800 OPS, 770 OPS. There's just, you don't really get any breaks. I mean, Austin Hayes has snuck past Bo Bichette, who was leading for the batting title for most of the year. All of a sudden, he's hitting 323 and he's in the running for the batting title. And I don't think coming into the year, a lot of teams around the division, even who knew the Orioles pretty well, we're like, hey, you got to watch out for Austin Hayes on a night-to-night basis. Credit to him, though. A, a huge jump from him and a lot of the other players. Gunnar Henderson has been one of the hotter guys in yeah. baseball for a long time now. And when they have leads, they they don't give them away. I mean, Felix Bautista is about as intimidating of a closer as you're going to find, I think, in the American League and maybe in Major League Baseball. He's thrown 100 really easily all the time. And they have you know strung together a really impressive start to this season. I do wonder with their starting pitching situation, I I think they're fine, but not necessarily, you know, maybe the rotation that you would expect out of a team 17 above 500 right now. I wonder if either that normalizes or if, hey, they go out and add a starter or two with the fact that they have about as much depth in the farm system still as anyone else. They could really, you know, add to that rotation and then be off to the races. And they're not that far behind the race. Like there's a possibility that if they go on a run, they could pass the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, one of the advantages of playing in certain markets, and you could say in Toronto playing in certain countries, is you're going to get the the benefit of having all these people vote for you. So, you you know, you could be in Seattle. You get the entire Pacific Northwest. 
You're in Colorado. You get all – if you're Denver, you get all of Colorado and the Rocky Mountains. If you're in St. Louis, you get all of the Midwest. Well, that's, you know, the same thing. When in Toronto, you get the whole Canadian – you know, get all of Canada. You get all – I mean, it's it's get a whole, whole country. And our buddy Josh Donaldson, back in the day, got the most votes you'd ever seen in 2015. So, you know what? I said earlier on the show, I, I, I'm cool with that. If everybody in Canada wants to get out and vote for the Blue Jays, put all the Blue Jays in. I mean, that's one of the perks of playing in Toronto. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, if if we did want to pick exactly to the letter of the law, the best all-stars, we wouldn't let the fans vote. But I don't think that that's really the point of the game. The, The point of the game is to put a showcase on, especially now that it doesn't count for anything anymore, like home field advantage in the World Series. You may as well have the showcase. And I understand that there are, you know, some people that probably don't love that when, you know, a Blue Jay that's having a good season, but maybe not the best season is ahead of someone on their team who might be having an even better season. But at the end of the day, you know, I think there are more people by a, a good margin in the state of California than there are in all of Canada. There are more people in Florida or pretty close to it than there are in Canada. So they, there are fan bases with the power to vote. And I think that, Blue Jays fans, especially, I think for many years, barely had anyone in the game when they struggled. They didn't make the playoffs for 25 years in a row after winning back-to-back World Series or 23 years in a row. So I think that, you know, Blue Jays fans, now that they have competitive teams again, have really jumped on the ability to put their guys in there. And and it shows in the results there are a lot of finalists that play in Toronto. Uh, looking at my notes today, uh, one of the crazy ones, you know how much we love our former A's. We love Chris Bassett, Matt Chapman. I was shocked how good Chris Bassett is when the Jays win his starts, 7-0 and with a 0.94. And then on the flip side, how brutal he is in the starts where the Jays lose. He's 0-5 with a 10.05 ERA. You talk about our feast or famine year for our buddy Chris Bassett. How wild has that been to cover? It, it's been pretty crazy, and it was it was something that came right from the get-go. I mean, he allowed a career high and earned runs in a game in his Blue Jays debut. He, yeah. he got rocked simply by the, by the St. Louis Cardinals, which we thought was more understandable at the time. Now it's not looking as good, to be honest, because the Cardinals have largely underwhelmed. And then – He went on a huge run after that first start, but pretty recently it's gone back and forth a little bit. And especially this past road trip for him, the Orioles stacked some lefties on him. The Rangers stacked some lefties on him. His splits have not been great this year. He's dominated righties, but he's given up a lot to lefties. And he gave up, I I think it was, you know, like nine home runs in the last six starts or something like that. They've really hit the ball out of the park against him. So it it has been a little bit crazy. The Blue Jays, I think, expected a lot of consistency out of him this year. And at times, he I think he's been a lot better than they even expected. I mean, he he threw a shutout this year and he threw something like seven and two thirds scoreless against his old team in the middle of Oakland and Toronto against the Mets uh, the night that he had his second child. That was a pretty phenomenal story. But there have been a couple games like on the uh, most recent road trip where, you know, he gave up eight and in three innings against the Orioles. And that was just not something that I think was expected. I think Blue Jays fans hope that, you know, after a couple tough ones, he's a good enough pitcher, though, that he bounces back in a start like tonight or in one of the starts coming up soon. And then I think about Matt Chapman and we love Matt Chapman. But when, when he left, 
There was a lot of talk about a $150 million contract that he turned down. There were some things that he said. I love Matt Chapman. I hate to bag on him. But all of a sudden, he got out to this hot start, right? First month, he's hitting bombs. He's hitting 372. And everybody's like, oh, my God, we let Matt Chapman go. I go, let's just let the season go. Because then all of a sudden, it just is a reality with Matt Chapman. As great as he is defensively, he struggles to make contact at times. And I look in May, he hit 202. This month, he's hitting 206. Talk about how, and you saw it last year. Talk about feast or famine. That's what you also get with Matt Chapman. Talk about that great start where probably everybody was talking about, do we need to give this guy a contract extension? And now the last two months, you've seen a, a real drop in his production. Yeah, he's he's been a streaky guy in his now year and a half pretty much as a Blue Jay, but this year has been, I would say, even far more, obviously, than last year. He was the American League Player of the Month in April, and he was really catching every fastball that they threw at him. There were a lot of elevated fastballs because that was something that he had struggled with at times last year and produced some of those strikeout numbers, and all of a sudden he was all over it, and he was going to right center a ton with those. He would hit a lot of those balls to right center, and then when they gave him breaking balls, he pulled them out of the park, and then those fastballs started beating him this year. And I'm not exactly sure if there was a mechanical change he made at some point, or you know, the tendency of baseball players sometimes is you're really, really hot, and you you have a little less attention to what's going on, or you expand your zone because you're hitting everything, and all of a sudden, you know, reality comes back the other way. So for Matt Chapman, he really was off the fastball for a while, and was and was getting a ton of swing and miss on those fastballs. Baltimore, especially last week just threw him almost nothing but heaters up and in the zone and he had a lot of trouble i i do think it looks like things are starting to turn though if you look at his last two games he walked in both those games he doubled in both of those games and he hit his first homer in more than a week in the last game against miami caught a breaking ball on the outer part of the plate and still pulled it to left so he's a guy like you said the defense is always going to be there and i think that provides a ton of value at a, at a high value position like third base he does a lot for your shortstop as well as playing really good third base but i do think the blue jays would hope that he's getting into one of these hotter streaks again and maybe hope that you know the the peaks don't have to be as high but maybe the valleys rise a little bit for him because he's an important guy who i think they want hitting fifth maybe in the lineup but has moved down to sixth recently with the lack of production in may and june all right let's end on this we know you got to go but i had to ask you about your old man because he's been so good to us over the years uh obviously your dad Dan Shulman was the voice of baseball at one point. We've watched him for years on ESPN. I mean, all the big college basketball games. So now you got to grow up with that. Now you're in the business. I got to think pretty cool working with your dad with the Blue Jays. That's got to be an absolute honor. Yeah, it, it's been awesome, and it, and it is an absolute honor for sure, and just a dream come true that the you know the people at Rogers and Sportsnet have given me an opportunity here to to do some work on the radio side with the Blue Jays, and it is really fun. You know, there are some weekends where I don't work on an every game basis like he does. I'm more of a couple times a week filling in for people in different spots, but you know there'll be times where we drive down to the ballpark together and drive back from games and stuff like that. And you know when I I went to school, part of my school career was you know right in the midst of COVID, so I didn't really get to see my family much at all at that point with you know border restrictions. And I was at Syracuse, so I you know couldn't cross back into Canada a ton. So it was you know really really fun to get this opportunity and you know to have him 
in and around and just, you know, be able to share some of these experiences together. So uh, he does, he, he gets the weekend off this time. He's, uh, you know, getting to do uh, some recreational stuff this weekend, but it has been really fun throughout this season to work alongside him and just get to share that experience together. You got better hair than he does. I do. I, I easily got the hair. Up. <laughs> well, we love your dad. and It's great to have you on for the first time. Let's do this again a lot because obviously uh, the AL East is the big player this year in the American League. Great stuff. We appreciate it and enjoy this series. Thank you so much. We come on anytime, guys. Take care. Ben Shulman, the son of Dan Shulman, who, you know, Dan has been coming on our show for years. He's one of the great voices in the game of baseball. He was Sunday night baseball for all those years. And we normally have Dan on. He's like, I'm having the weekend off, but how about my son? And we're like, of course. And the Jays haven't had a lot of home games. It's kind of crazy. But that always, you know what, and as we always say, it adds up towards the end. Everything evens out. The Jays, they have the third best home record in the American League at 19 and 13. Their 32 games played at home are tied for the fewest in baseball, only with the Phillies and the Mets. So that means they're going to have a lot of games coming up here uh, at the Rogers Center where they got to make hay because this thing is just a beast, man. When you're looking at Tampa, Tampa's at 52 and 26. The other day we had that note for you. I think I had it uh, in the broadcast, or maybe it was here on A's Cast Live, where we talked about Tampa is on a pace of what the 1998 Yankees were on. And the 1998 Yankees is modern-day baseball, the best team we have ever seen. I, I don't. I don't think there's – Anybody even close? One fourteen, right? One hundred fourteen wins that year. Whatever it was. Yeah, and won the World Series. I don't think wins really. It's not wins that define that team. It was the fact that they were just so unbelievably talented. Veteran roster mixed in with some young guys who were coming into their prime. Just the way the team was built. Uh, Dave Stewart, who's going to be here at two fifteen, can talk about it because he was the pitching coach of the Padres that played them in the World Series. He knows how good they were. I mean, that team was just absolutely stacked. But that is how good Tampa's been this year. They're 52-26. and 26. Baltimore right now is four and a half games back with 45 wins. I mean, the A's have 19 wins. Baltimore has 45. And they're only in second place. You got the Yankees at 41 and 43. That's not a great record, but it's not bad. They're nine and a half games back. And then you got Toronto, 10. Toronto's 41 and 35. That's not a bad start. No. That, that's got you right in the thick of it. And they're 10 games back. I mean, even Boston's over 500. And they're, well, they're 12 back. But yeah, Toronto being 10 back is kind of surprising because everyone liked them. The, you know, everyone kept saying, well, who's Toronto. 12 back? Boston's 12. Yeah, back. 12. Yeah, Boston. Yeah, Toronto's uh, only ten. Toronto being ten back, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, they they could win the they could win the L East this year." Going, that's why when you try to win the off season, it, you don't always come back and win the season. Uh, who said that the other day on the show with us? Um, Great was question. It, was it Kylie Mc, Kylie McDaniel? Did he say that? No. Oh, it was Bob Nightingale. Nightingale said it. Every guy. That, Kylie McDaniel that we had from the combine. How was that combine experience? Huh? Great television. Yeah, Great. T you know what? We need more of that. I'll find out for sure. My friend's one of the doctors down there for the series. Awful. Or for the combine. Awful. My God. 
I get it. You want to be like football, but I mean, fu- I don't watch the combine. Even when I was working in the NFL, I didn't watch the combine. I know some people did. I thought it was ridiculous when you would hear sports talk. People go, did you see so-and-so run the 40? <laughs> like, really? That's what you're going with? I'm not a combine guy in the NFL. I am really the combine in baseball was terrible. Who, I think it was our old, our, one of our old, uh, old colleagues, the great John Lund, called it the Underwear Olympics is what he called it. <laughs> I mean, this baseball combine. And we'll ask Dave Stewart about it. Dave, the great thing about having Dave on is you, he wears a lot of hats. He's a former GM. He's a former pitching coach. He's a former agent, soon-to-be owner. He knows everything that's going on with all the ownership stuff. We'll probably stay away from a lot of that because, obviously, we know kind of tough for a lot of people. But, um, yeah, he's. He, we'll ask him what he thinks of the combine and how much it really helps and how much it helps the draft. It's going to help somebody. may not help everybody, but it's going to help some guys. going to help you get some extra dough, going to help you maybe get, you know, hopefully – Instead of getting drafted here, you'll get drafted maybe more in the first round, more in the second round, get you some extra dough. You sent me a uh, Jack Wilson's kid is now we're getting projected to take a non-catcher. Yeah, Jacob Wilson, the son of Jack, who plays at Grand Canyon, projected to be the sixth pick. Uh, what, what position do you think he plays? Let's just take a guess. Is he a pitcher? No. Not catcher. Not a shortstop, it's a catcher. If it's not a catcher, it's a shortstop. Well, Zach Wilson's kid, of course, he's a shortstop. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, but, yeah, that was – Vladimir Guerrero was an outfielder. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is an infielder. Uh, it was Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline that said Jacob Wilson. Well, technically right now, let's call it as we see it. We don't have a shortstop. Yeah, so there you go. We don't. We, we, we've drafted a ton. None of them right now, you can honestly say, have worked out. Yeah, the, the guy that we drafted in the first round a few years ago, Logan Davidson, just now. Logan Davidson is not going to be I, – I mean, I'm pretty safe to say – I, I feel pretty secure with this. He's not going to be an everyday player in the big leagues. Um, if you're a first-round pick and you're at 25 and you're just getting to AAA, I just don't think you're going to have a long, illustrious career at shortstop in the big leagues. Yeah, that's probably a fair a fair point. We have – who's playing short? Tyler Wade's playing shortstop today for the A's. Yes. We don't have a shortstop. Nick Allen. Back and forth. Maybe, but Kevin Smith's he's hurt. not here. Getting Kevin Smith's Kevin hurt. Kevin Smith's not a – we don't have – so if you draft <laughs> a guy and maybe a legit guy, we'll right? I mean, we're picking six. You should be getting a legit guy. That this is somebody coming out of college – that could be starting for you in two, three years. According to this, Jacob Wilson can play short, third, and left. Versatil- Sounds like an Oakland day already. Need a shortstop. Uh, he hit 412 this year with six home runs and 60 run runs driven in for a Grand Canyon. What about Max Muncie 2.0? Oh, yeah. He's he's actually not having a bad year, I don't think. In, uh, is, he, is he in Midland? Oh, wrong. Max Muncie. Got to go, man. Max Muncy Miners. Yeah, I'll have to Google search that one real quick. Baseball reference isn't going to bring it up, and I'm just too lazy to go to Midland's website. Yeah, because the minor league websites are terrible. No offense. Where is Max Muncy? Also from Thousand Oaks, same place where Jacob Wilson's from. 
Uh, Muncie is in Midland. He's hitting 242, five home runs, 24 runs driven in. How many games? Um, doesn't have his game. 223 bats, though. Yeah. Um, this is just sad. Sorry, no, sorry. He's at Lansing. He's at high A. Isn't this just sad? Every single time you look at minor league numbers, you just – guys just don't hit. Guys just don't hit. The hit tool – that's why I want to see Larissa Rise hit 400. Skies don't hit. It's frustrating. Who's our sh- Midland? I don't even know who our shortstop in Midland would be. Well, it would have been Logan Davis. I don't know who it is now. Uh, the kid we got from the uh, the, the Blue. Uh, no, oh, Hernandez. From the Orioles. Daryl Hernandez. He's actually supposed to be doing really well. He was hitting over 300. Let's see. Last time Pulling up Midland right now. He is hitting 330, five home runs, 35 runs driven in, and double A, 57 games. Okay, that's pretty good. We have to look up, because I remember doing a report on him, and I looked up the play-by-play guy, Hernays, not Hernays, Hernays. I know David Force has called him Hernays, but the local guy called him Hernays. Between him and Soderstrom. Everyone says Soderstrom. It's Soderstrom. Soderstrom, Soderstrom, Hernays, Hernays. Just get to the big leagues and do something. <laughs> I learned, but hey. I'll tell you what, though. If this Hernays, Hernays turns out to be the guy and we got that for Cole Irvin, that is a sweet deal. And he's not, and he's relatively young, too, right? He's like 20, 21. Bring him up. Hey, we've been seeing guys get caught up all over from double A. Bring why him not, up. Why not call him up? You got Tyler Wade going today hitting 200. He was he was in like under he was hitting like two oh three in Vegas too. It's not like he was and then there was a move today. Um Ramon Laureano was placed on the injured list with a fractured right hand retroactive to yesterday, June twenty second, and your guy is finally oh. back. Your guy's finally back, and no, it's not Cody Thomas, it's Connor Capel. And he's in the lineup today batting ninth, playing left. Ramon Laureano, sir. Again. Fractured hand, so he's gonna be out for a bit. Yeah. How does that work for his trade trade bait? Did I miss something? How did he fracture his hand? I don't know, man. I watched the game yesterday. I don't remember. Do you remember? I don't remember. No, I, I don't. So I mean, I don't remember him. How did he fracture the hand? Anybody yeah. know? Let's see if um, Let's see if Martin or anyone has it on Twitter. Well, Martin's the guy on – he's the guy on the road, so we'll see if he has anything. And Mark Kotze at 11 o'clock a.m. didn't have anything to say about it. Um, stems from getting hit by pitch in Milwaukee earlier this month. The slide in the third base last week injured his oh, left hand. Oh, and his fingers. Yeah, so interesting. So sliding into sliding into a base, he hurt his left hand, and then he fractured his right hand by getting hit by a pitch. Well, that's a tough break. No pun intended. Uh, I'm trying to let's look. When's the last time we saw Lorian? We saw him go 0 for 4 in the second game against the Guardians. I mean, this was one of the guys, Ramon Laureano was one of the guys that you were hoping that would play well and you could flip him. As I said yesterday on the post, oh, I do need to apologize for the postgame show yesterday. Oh, that's true. As I said on the postgame show yesterday, we're playing Flip This House. Was that it on, it was H, what's HGTV or yeah, what is it? It was only like five seasons, so it ended a long time ago, by the way. I looked it up yesterday. But it was a great name, Flip This House. We're playing Flip This House. We need to flip guys. 
Ramon Laureano's hurt. No one's. I mean, Ramon Laureano was. If you said trade bait, he was the legitimate option we had to trade. Because somebody's going to have injuries. You need somebody that's played in the postseason before. You need a guy that can play defense, hit for a little bit of power. I mean, that's Ramon Laureano. Change of scenery, he was perfect. Now, broken hand, how are you going to flip him? Yeah. What are you going to flip him for? You're hoping he heals quickly in the next month. but You're going to get nothing for him now. Yeah. Month next month and a month plus because the deadline's August. And Connor Capel is in the lineup hitting ninth today, but that that having Ramon Laureano go down, um, I need to apologize for what I said yesterday in the post game show. As you know, I normally don't go back and apologize for for what I had to say the day before. Uh, I stand by what I say on Ace Cast Live or on the Ace Clubhouse show, but. It's been brought to my attention that I should apologize for the way I ripped the Giants yesterday harshly by talking about my son, that my son got drafted in Little League and I refused to let him play for the Giants team and I made the commissioner of the league trade my son to a different team. Uh, People took offense to that. Um, I understand. You know, I took a big stance with my son, and uh, I was not going to allow him to wear that stupid black and orange. I'm trying not to laugh right now, but it's taking everything for me not to. I did this whole thing at the postgame show, right? Was it with a caller? Yeah. And I said it. No one said anything. It's like, well, you don't have a son. I said it after we came back from break. I was like, uh. No one said I like I, I did this whole thing. I'm joking around, but I was acting like I was serious. And then I paused and stopped. You and Jessica said nothing. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a son. So clearly I was – yeah, I, I came back. But this, if it was true, I wouldn't let my son play for the Giants. Next segment, I came back. I said, wouldn't let my son on that stupid wall, that wall, or what do they call it? Well, if it, we're going to go visit it because we went over the list. Uh, Russ Ortiz is on it. I no, don't Russell, care. Was Russ on it? I don't know. I don't I care. For, I can't remember if his name was mentioned or not. Kirk Reeder. Well, what, what's what Woody. Woody. <laughs> against Woody. Nice guy. Yeah, Kirk I was going to say, what do you have against Woody? Nice I don't have any. Oh, your guy Marvin Bernard's on there, though. Marvin Bernard. I'm not on any wall with Woody and Marvin Bernard. If I'm Barry Bonds, I'm take me off that wall. I'm not. If I'm Willie Mays, I'm like take me off that wall. You want to put me on a wall with Chris Spire? Get me off that wall. We have to go visit it. The Bay Bridge series is in a month, so we'll have to do. A, we'll have to do a taped segment out there. Um, I'm Barry Bonds. You're not putting me on a wall with Jack Clark. All right. Take me off that wall. I can't even believe Willie Mays even allowed them to put him on that stupid wall. It's well, wait, Some wall that's not yeah. even at the stadium. It's, no, it it's, is. Where, where is it's, it? It's outside by on the Barcadero side, I was told. So it's at the ballpark. I thought, isn't it on like the other side of McCovey Cove? I, I, it's, all I know is it's by the, off the Embarcadero, so we'd have to go find it right there. It's right by the ballpark is what I was told. I'm, I, You know, I'm Willie Mays. You're not putting me on some stupid wall with Johnny LeMaster. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll go look for it today before I take the train home from here. Go look for it. I'll get a picture with Marvin. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Hey, Willie, we need you. I'm not walking out there. I have a statue out front. I'm not walking out <laughs> to be on some dumb wall with Robbie Thompson. <laughs> Between this and your imaginary son, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. If I'm Willie Mays, I'm not walking out to be on some dumb wall that's not even at the stadium with a bunch of guys that were guys. 
John the Count Montefusco. If I'm Barry Bonds, I'm not on a wall with John the Count Montefusco. What about, what about uh, Kevin Mitchell? Uh, he's an MVP. That's the boogie bear, yeah, by okay, the way. I, I like K. Mitch. Hunter great, Pence. Great Met. Hunter Pence. The great Met. Kevin Mitchell won the World Series with them in 86. Who? Hunter Pence is on there. I like Hunter Pence. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know if his scooter made it, but I know he did. Is this a scooter make the wall? <laughs> what if the picture is him riding the scooter? How big? How big? How big does the spot have to be for Panda on the wall? <laughs> well, too soon. Shots fired. <laughs> does he get two spots? <laughs> You're stupid. Yeah, Pablo Sandoval. Is he on the wall? He's not on there yet. Has no. he not on? How's Hunter Pence on the wall, but Pablo Sandoval's not? I Sandoval went one, two? Was he on all three? Oh, no, it was two, yeah. He, he was in the Red Sox after that. Yeah, he was on two World Series championship. He's not on? Pablo Sandoval. And you could probably get a pizza sponsor for it. Uh, three-time <laughs> three World Series champion. No, he was on all three. He was on all three? He left after 2014, so he won in 14, and then he left. He would have just stuck it out one more year with Boston. He would have had a fourth ring when Boston won that title in 2018. Well, he ate himself off the off the roster. He ended up still having a nice career, 278 career hitter, 153 home runs. How much money? He made over $100 million easy because he signed 95 with Boston. And they, they what, what did he play, two years? And they ate the contract from the play as a giant. A lot of people ate that contract. $114.6 million. I mean the Braves, the Red, the Braves signed him for a million dollars. Hey, where's the giraffe now? He's in Toronto. What's Toronto, he, he's what? off the injured list. I think he came back yesterday. Is he, is he the leading vote getter in the American League? I don't think he's one of them. When is the Giant series? The July twenty fifth, I believe. I think it's here. Then I don't, I don't know when we actually play them in Oakland. I forget when the do date we is. have to go? Can we, we just like come here and do the show? Well, we're not actually going to go. We're, I'm saying we go over there when we're here, like. Another day when we're here, which is one coming up. We go before we come here, go over there, tape a segment with the iPad. I hate going to that ballpark. It's a, it's 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 a total mess. Well, we just stand outside by the wall and third and king. It's a mess. Yeah, I say it. I'll be the one guy in the Bay Area to say it. I, I don't love it. Well, now you're crapping on going to Chase Center too. It's right there. Don't love it. Haven't been to a Warrior game since they left Oakland. Oh, Chris yeah, Paul. I said it. Chris Paul's there now. You might want to go watch him. Who? He's still in the league? Chris Paul still plays in the NBA? Yep. Got the Warriors to give up a lot to get him. Well, they get, they. get it was I actually am, a good business. I am proud to say, yes, yesterday I was here at NBC. I did A's pregame live with Dave Stewart, then did A's postgame live. Then I came right in this room. This is where we also do when I hop on the postgame show with you and Jessica on the A's clubhouse show. I got done. I hustled down to Cinnabar Hills. You hear – the commercials all throughout the broadcast on A's cast. Wonderful. Three nines. We love Center Bar Hills. That's my golf club. Uh, but, yes, I do pay my membership. Um, I played golf. I came home and enjoyed my family. I didn't watch one minute of the NBA draft. That's like the greatest thing of not being in sports talk radio anymore. I don't have to give a crap about stuff I don't give a crap about. Not one moment of my life yesterday went to the NBA, and I'm proud of that. I just know from Twitter that they drafted the Warriors drafted some kid from Santa Clara. 
Warriors drafted a kid from Santa Clara? He's not the third guy drafted out of Santa Clara in the first round. Jalen Williams was the first rounder last year. Is he Steve Nash? Uh, no. You drafted a guy from the WCC and he's not a Zag? Uh, and, he, and he transferred in. He transferred into Santa Clara. I know nothing about the draft, so I, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm not betting on a Santa Clara Bronco to carry the franchise. Well, no, that's why you got Chris Paul. Team up with Steph. You drafted a guy from Santa Clara? I mean, Mike Dunleavy first pick as the Warriors GM. We're, we're, I mean, St. Mary. Where's Alex Jensen? Is this guy any good? Alex Jensen, the proud voice of the St. Mary's Gales. Well, we should ask him. I could text him later. I need the full Scott. He's going to draft a guy from Santa Clara. It's like drafting a guy from like USD or Loyola Marymount or something like that. Well, for basketball, yes, USC. There are some good baseballers that come out of USD. We're not talking about baseball. I know. We're talking about basketball. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. Last time a guy from USC made the NBA that I can remember. No. Not, not US, USD. Yeah, right? USD. Uh, it sounds like you said USC. And then, uh, I mean, the only guy I can remember from San Diego State that was big was Kawhi. Recently. Well, Kawhi never plays, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Is he sitting out the offseason, too? <laughs> That's well done. I hate the NBA. By the way, there was some controversial things said on the NASCAR channel today about the NBA. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, the NASCAR crazy talk show guy on NASCAR is the best on SiriusXM. Let's get his he name. He said something today. We just flipped over to see what he was talking about because they have nothing to talk about. He got angry about some guy and some driver is not trying to win races or something like that. So is it is it Dave Moody? I, think I, have no, I have no clue. He's just hilarious. He said something about the NBA that I – you can get away with probably on the NASCAR channel. Yeah. Dave, the godfather Moody. The yep. godfather today of NASCAR <laughs> ripped the NBA, and he said something about the NBA. Now, he's in Charlotte. Charlotte had the number two pick. Correct. I took Brandon Miller. He said something, and we were driving up. We both like, whoa, what did he just say? Yeah. Can you say that? You can in NASCAR, my friend. NASCAR, I tell you what, I love here being Darlington. You know, all my sponsors and my guys and my crew, I mean, the car ran hot. Woo, it was hot. It was fast. We were turning left the whole time, and we were running at a high speed. And I just, once again, I want to thank my sponsors, and I love everything about NASCAR. Uh, uh, I just remember him saying, there's nothing to talk about. And then he starts going off with the NBA, and then he starts talking about how some guy crashed when he was trying to take the lead. And it's like, well, I thought there was nothing to talk about. And got angry. Yeah. He always finds a way to get angry. He's like a, you know, like the, the fake professional wrestling interviews where Macho Man was always angry, and now Hogan's angry, and now Ric Flair's angry. Everybody's always angry. This guy's always angry. It's, actually, it's kind of like me in the postgame show. Yeah, I heard your one the other day about the uh, whole sequence with, uh, with uh, was it the Letman's DS sequence? Ramon throwing it, and then. Am I the only one watching these games and sees this stuff? Because no one else talks about it. I, I I almost feel like we're at a point I'm the only one watching games. Oh, I, I saw it. You were, you were on it. Like yesterday, the big but thing. no one else has an opinion on it. Like, I say it, and people are like, huh, did that happen? Like, did you, are you not? I don't think a lot of people, when the team is bad, are watching for the little things. I think it's real easy to have it on in the background, to listen to it. You're barbecuing. You're doing whatever. Television, you're doing whatever. You, you're you're – you're, you're, it's in the background, mm-hmm. but 
watching the actual pitch by pitch, play by play, what the hell is going on? I don't know how many people are still doing that. Well, I am, and certain things drive me nuts. Drive me nuts. And that play by Lemus Diaz to this day still drives me nuts, and it was a couple days ago. That's not a winning play. And probably a lot of you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly, because you're probably not watching. And I get it, but I do. Even though the team is 9-58, and 58, I'm still watching every 19, at-bat. 19. 19, what did I say? 9. 19 and 58, I'm still watching every at-bat. I'm still watching every game. And stuff still drives me nuts. Like the two big things from yesterday's game. Uh, Rio, since debut. And, uh, Yaxel. Yeah, and then uh, the other one that no one wants to talk about that, that we brought up and we talked about it a little bit on the web, Shay Langoliers and how bad he's struggling. Shay Langoliers is in the lineup again today. Oh, do, you need, do I need to go over the numbers? Yeah, hey, do I have a pen? Uh, update me. So I'm going to give you wh- – wh- where are we on the Brent Rooker? Is it last 32? Last 33. Last 33, okay. So okay. 173. 173. Still two homers. Two homers. Mm-hmm. Nine RBIs. Yep. 44 strikeouts. I know it by heart now. 45 strikeouts? Four. Huh? 44. 44 and punchies. And f- 533 OPS. Five what? 533. 533 OPS. Can I tell you what he is in the last six games? Uh, I think I saw the stat, but one hit, right? Brent Rooker. Is he in the lineup today? No. We're at a point, can't even play him. Brent Rooker, last six games, is one for 20. That is a point zero five zero batting average with 11 Ks. Brent Rooker went from, oh, my God, what a great story. I'm so glad he made it over Christian Pache to a guy that you can't even play anymore. It's, it's not great. Uh, Shay Lingaliers, do you want me to start with June or just his last 10? Uh, let's go June. June, he's hitting 161. Oh, my God. One home run, five runs driven in. Okay. Um, last 10. Okay. 0.88. It's point, point eight eight. yes. Point zero eight yeah. eight. okay. 11 strikeouts. That's 34 bats. He's three for 34. Uh, my guy Ryan Noda hadn't been swinging it real well. Uh, he's in the top seven strikeouts. Well, I don't know. I don't know Kelnick the essay, so it was, we'll say top eight. Last eight games, Noda's four for 31. He does have the three-run home run, but that's a 129 batting average, 15 Ks in eight games. That's not good. I, is anybody hitting? Uh, yes. Tony I'll, Kemp. I'll let Miss Diaz. Hey, over his last 12, he's hitting 361 with a uh, 928 OPS. Now – Okay, give it last 12. He's in what? 361 with a okay. 928 OPS. Now, you know why I like that? Because we're playing flip this house. And if you can flip, if there's somebody out there that says, okay, because I could see as a sales job, I could see saying Oakland's having a tough year, tough situation. This guy was just on the Astros, won the World Series. He's a guy that can play all around the diamond. He's starting to hit. I could see someone trading for him. Boston supposedly is in. Correct. How great would that be to unload a Letmus Diaz? Letmus Diaz is, has no range at shortstop. And if he's a guy that you're going to play a couple times a week on a good team, great. But we needed him to be a baller. He's not a baller. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's just the last 12, but prior to that, I mean, look, you look at, you go through his game logs. Zero hit, zero hit. He went one, two, three, four, five, five straight games with no hits. Yeah, Diaz was terrible. It's been it's, – it, the, the, the contracts of all the veteran guys from Rusinski, who you said was going to be the next Cy Young for the athletics. He's on a 60-day. 60-day with a knee. Yep. Went from a stomach illness to a knee problem. Zach Jackson's on the 60-day. Jesus Aguilar. I mean, it's just, I mean, all these Peter, things, Jace. All these signings, it's, it's been rough. We have a lot to get into with a man that's worn every kind of hat there is. Player, world champion, all-star, general manager, assistant general manager, agent, and future owner in Major League Baseball. He's an Oakland A's Hall of Famer, and he'll join us next. That's the great Dave Stewart. You're watching A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they got a deal for 25% off. Check it out. You go to LinkSoul.com. Remember, in the big leagues, look good, play good. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, joining me here on A's Cast Live, he's a three-time World Series champion, a World Series MVP. He is an Oakland A's Hall of Famer. And on Sunday, we'll be going into the California Sports Hall of Fame. That's what, three Hall of Fames now? That's three. So, I mean, that's pretty, as a kid who grew up in California, to be in the California Sports Hall of Fame, it's a who's who in this Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's some pretty good, some pretty good names uh, um, that are in this Hall of Fame. Uh, though I was invited, actually, to uh, Tony La Russa's induction uh, pre-pandemic. So that would have been in 18 or 17 or 18 when Tony was inducted. Um, Kristen Okoye is the uh, chairman and uh, president CEO of this of this Hall of Fame, and so um, for all the for those of you who followed football and the Kansas City Chiefs in particular, you know that Christian Quay was a was a hell of a running back and a destroyer in that position. And so when the Nigerian know, nightmare, yeah, he so, was awesome. So when I got the um, letter and the call from him, uh, you know, I was uh, I was excited about it genuinely. Yeah, well, congratulations. It's a, it's a hell of an honor, another Hall of Fame for you. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, I would never have dreamt, you know, growing up, you know, in, 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 in the backyard and playing baseball with my brother. And I would never have dreamt of all of the, the things that have just come in, in my direction, you know, with the A's Hall of Fame, the... Barrier Sports Hall of Fame, uh, Bayshoff, and now uh, California. These are all tremendous honors. You know, when I, you know, we always talk about obviously your A's career, but now that the team's going to be in Toronto, you made the trek up north, and not only did you win a World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays, a lot of people forget. I mean, like Cody was too young. I mean, you're talking this Toronto Blue Jays team. 
whether you talk about the first or the second one, 92-93, when you're talking about Hall of Famers that, you know, when you're talking about Roberto Alomar and the first DH was Dave Winfield, and then you had Paul Molitor, uh, you had Devon White, you had John Olerud, Ricky Henderson shows up, I mean, Kelly Gruber, you had all these great players that were there, and the pitching staff was unbelievable, and you had a whole country behind you. Yeah, it was, um, you know, after Montreal um, lost their team, uh, it went from the East Coast to the West Coast, all the way from Nova Scotia to Vancouver. Um, and you're right. I mean, when I look back on the pitching staff, um, you know, it was led by Jack Morris, and I was right after him with Stottlemyre Henkin and and uh, Gooseman. Um, great starting rotation, and our bullpen um, was pretty good. We had two closers um, on the back end, Henkin. Hentke, I'm sorry, was our closer, but we also had Dwayne Ward, and both those guys were upper 90-mile-an-hour guys. Um, Hentke had uh, a split finger, and Dwayne Ward had an unbelievable breaking ball slider along with his hard stuff. And, and so when, you're, when you've got those two guys back there, Danny Cox was our, our middle relief guy. Um, I mean, we were, we were pretty good. How, how was it playing for essentially a country? You know, I never really thought about it until after we won the the the, the World Series in '93. They had won one in '92. I was a part of '93, yeah. and um, was the MVP in the in the LCS. Um, I'm sorry, LDS. Um, and no, I was right the first time. LCS. Yeah. We only had we didn't have an LDS. We had we had the league championship series and World Series back then. Uh, how how great things have changed now, right? Oh. <laughs> And so, you know, winning the, winning the MVP and, and then um, I used to frequent Vancouver. I'm in that period of time. I love going to the city and, and uh, spending time there. And um, I went up after the World Series was over um, in January. It's cold in January, but still nice. Great restaurants, nice city. Um, all the people um, that, um, you know, I was being recognized by in, in Vancouver and, and the heartfelt thank yous for, for winning a World Series for Canada. It, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, no, it was obviously a great time. And, and your buddy Rick Anderson showed up and was a part of it. Oh, it was good. Um, I remember talking to uh, Pat Gillick at that time, was our general manager. And Pat was asking me, um, you know, what kind of guy was Ricky. And, uh, you know, Ricky was probably one of the, the, um, one of the players that uh, people really – they they had no idea of how great a teammate he is. You knew how great of a player he was, but you you didn't know how great of a teammate he was in the clubhouse and and the laughter and the the fun that he brought into your clubhouse and and in his own way leadership. Um, and so you know Pat Gillick had asked me questions about Ricky and and the type of person he was and what I felt he could do for our club. And days later he traded for him. It's so interesting. We, we, we had Sandy Allerson. It was at the winter meetings in 2019 where Sandy said, you know, one of the things he'll always be known for is trading away some of the greatest players of all time. But he talked about when they were going to reacquire, which we just, what, two days ago was the anniversary of your guys' team reacquiring Ricky Anderson from the New York Yankees. He said that there was a big debate amongst the front office was this or was this not a good idea? 
So young Ricky Anderson obviously is different from as Ricky gets older and he's going to all these teams. He's like the elder statesman. Everybody mm-hmm. loves. Like Ricky was like the greatest guy in the world. He's a Dodger, a Padre, or Angel, or whatever. But young Ricky, it's like it's a. Di- what was that like? Why was? Why do you think it was always a a, a decision where people are like, eh, I'm not so sure if we should bring him in or should we should bring him back from the ace case. Well, one of the misconceptions about Ricky is is his desire to to be on the field. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, they felt that Ricky needed days off, and when he needed days off, he would take days off. Of, but that that could never be more misunderstood. I mean, Ricky loved to be on the field, uh, loved to play, wanted to play every day, did not like days off. Um, and um, so you look at that factor, and that is going around. And then you you you. Uh, just the aura that goes, quite frankly, with all Hall of Famers. I've, you know, I've been around quite a few. Dennis Eckersley may be probably the exception to this, but um, most Hall of Famers that I've been around, they have an aura about them that that is different from most people that I know. When I'm around Reggie Jackson, um, you feel something when you're around Reggie. When you're around Ricky Henderson, you feel something when you're around him. And they are quite different than the average human being. And so um, Ricky didn't know that he was going to be a Hall of Famer when he became one. He knew one before he got there. Um, And he played like that. Um, The way he went about his business was greatness. and, and, um, And then ultimately he became a Hall of Famer. And so the misconception of, of his personality and how he fits in with the team um, I think was part of that as well. Um, and but um, when you play with him, you are you've got one of the best guys that you can have in your clubhouse. You don't like him on the other side. I can tell you that <laughs> uh, because I played against him, um, and you don't like him on the other side. But when he's in your clubhouse, he's one of the best teammates you'll ever have. And he made a great point to you about Ruiz, where Se Uri Ruiz, it, it, at some point as he's going to evolve into a great leadoff hitter. I mean, he's on pace right now for 82 stolen bases. That'd be the most for an A since Ricky stole 93 in 1988. He leads baseball in stolen bases. But there, there's nuances to leading off, taking pitches, taking your walks. And just talk to us about how Ricky brought up the whole fact that people were afraid to walk him. So that means there were times he was going to get some good pitches. That's hit. right. And that's what, that's what he felt. He felt that. Um, the 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 opposition of the pitchers, they were more concerned with putting him on base via walk than him hitting the ball out of the ballpark because they knew if they walked him, then it was going to equal a stolen base of second and possibly a stolen base of third, which creates a run. And because he knew that, I mean, I'm not sure you're going to find more guys that are selective in the way that Ricky was. Um, he had a great eye for balls and strikes and didn't swing at very many bad pitches. Um, and so he, the way he verbalized it was, hey, you know, I knew they were afraid of me getting on base. And he said that sharpened my awareness of the strike zone. It made me better um, when I was hitting. And it would put me in a position that I could pick and choose the pitches that I wanted to hit. And it made me a better hitter. And he believes that... Uh, Ruiz has an opportunity to be that type of hitter. Ricky said he wasn't afraid to hit with two strikes, and that's a fact. He wasn't. 
Um, and he believes that Ruiz will, will, at some point with maturity, be that type of hitter as well. He'll have plate discipline, not swing as many bad pitches, um, and, as he put it, be a creator. Well, Ruiz has the one thing, and we know that. He's got the hit tool. No doubt about it. He's a, he is a hitter, um, especially with runners in scoring position, as we're all finding out, and the league is finding out this kid. Um, he stands up when there's guys on base that are ready to be scored. And um, he does a great job in those situations with focus and making sure that he puts the ball in play and he hits the ball hard. You know, putting your GM hat on right now and you start, you know, you look at where the A's are at 19 and 58. You know, at, at what point do you need to start? I understand you don't want to start guys' clocks for free agency. I get all of that and an arbitration. But at what point do you want to start seeing from the front office standpoint, you want to see some of your younger guys who you've trained, see them come up, see them get their feet wet, and have an opportunity to see what they can do early in their careers in the big leagues? Well, I think what they what, 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 what you'd like to see, um, especially a team of this caliber, you, you, you're, you do an audition, and in spring training you sign, you sign players that you think have an opportunity to, to make your major league club and, and assist you and, and be competitive um in season um and then as the year goes on as players mature in your minor league system or they're jumping from one level to the next level you 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 watch their maturity and and when you think that they're ready you you bring them to the big leagues and i think in this particular case you're going to see a lot of the up-and-coming players the name that pops up all the time is soderstrom i think i think you're going to see him in the second half of the season um, you, you're going to see him. And I don't know how that's going to work. You know, Langoliers is, is, is our lead guy. Perez is doing a great job as a backup guy. So I don't know how you you make that work, but you can expect that you're going to see him. And if we've got other pitching prospects down there, you know, that haven't been here um, to the big leagues at this time, you, you, you're going to probably expect to see those guys too. You know, when you got a young guy that's struggling, take a guy like Langoliers. I mean, Langoliers – uh, Cody was just putting out the numbers. I mean, Langoliers in the month of June is hitting 161. His last 10 games, he's pit, he's hitting 088. What is the what is the key to helping a young player and getting him back on track? You know, in Langoliers' case, um, you know, I, I think that you know having the amount of playing time that he did last year. And allowed the league to to really do a good job of, of picking him apart and and um, executing in in his weakness, and um, so he is going to have to make the adjustment now to what everybody else is doing, and and he hasn't made that adjustment yet. Um, you know, sitting here between you and I, and 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 whoever's listening at this this show, um, he 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 has not adjusted to the pitch. I mean, down and away, nobody's going to hit that pitch. Uh, but the pitch away is a problem for him. He pulls off that ball, and if he doesn't pull off of it, it's weak contact, um, you know, to to um, the third base side. Um, he hasn't adjusted to the breaking ball yet. Um, and it, until he makes that adjustment, there's no reason for the league to make the adjustment. Um, he's hitting 201, so the adjustment has to be it has to come from him. He now has to make the adjustment and show the league that he's aware of what's going on and he can adjust and he can start being the type of hitter that he's been touted to be before he got here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough. I mean, the one thing that I've always looked at, and you've been a part of this. We were just talking about uh, the the Rays off to a start that's similar to the 98 Yankees. You coach against the Yankees in the World Series when you're a Padre co- uh, Padres pitching coach as you face those guys in, in the World Series. But if coaching plays such a big role, especially with these young guys, I mean, we don't think about coaching at the big league level, but when these guys are coming up, I mean, teaching them so many different things, they the only way they're going to get better, they've got to want it, and you got to help them do it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a different group. I mean, this is a different group of kids. There are not a lot of veteran players on this team. I mean, even the veterans on this team aren't very veteran, if you know. What I mean, it's it's a yeah. young it's a young baseball team, and so I mean, you're really searching for leadership. And the leadership has to come from the coaching staff when you have a team that that's this young. Um, you have to have guys in the clubhouse that are teaching and that are showing these kids the way. Um, and on their worst days, you 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 have to figure out a way to to keep their heads above water. Um, this this season has presented a lot of days where these kids have felt like they've they've been drowning. Uh, the seven game win streak probably was the best thing to happen for this ball club. And it couldn't have happened at a better time. Um, even in the seven-game losing streak that they've that they've been in, maybe it's at eight now. Um, they're still playing good competitive baseball. Pitching has stepped up. They're throwing the ball a lot better, not walking as many, and keeping their team in the game. Um, the offense has been touch and go, um, especially with runners in scoring position. So, um, the coaching staff they have to take it upon themselves to take a leadership role and show these kids what's necessary um, in times that they're going through right now. You know, I've talked to you about Oakland moving to Vegas, this whole move going on. Uh, we've talked about your attempt to draw, to buy half of the Coliseum site, the disappointment there. And obviously we've talked about what's happening with you in the Nashville stars and trying to get an expansion team just through this whole process, I mean, you had everything from an agent to a general manager, a great player, a World Series champion. You've seen so much of this game. What what have you really learned, though, in this 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 pursuit to try and be an owner? What part of this part of the game of baseball have you learned? Is just kind of just like, wow, this is a whole different world than what it's like to be a player. I mean, it's really. I mean, obviously, ownership, the the first thing that, that's going to have to take place to be an owner is you, you have to have the capital to do it. A little cash. Yeah, and I, and I believe that I can I can raise the money to, to do that part of it. But the other piece of this that is, and this is why baseball and life are, are so, so much alike, um, it's it's relationships. It's, it's relationships. It's building relationships. It's, it's having people like you. Quite frankly, if 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 I lose half of these owners, it's going to be a difficult opportunity for me to own a baseball team. Um, and so it's it's having people like you and 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 building relationships and having conversations and and not just having them, but paying attention, taking in the information and applying it in areas that are going to make me better. Not just as an owner in baseball, but as a person, because these are their their life lessons. Um, it's not just about baseball, um, and and most people think that it's just a game, and and uh, and that's the way it is. But 
it is a game, but um, it's a, it's also the game of life, in my opinion. I've learned a lot about life as a player, working in the front office, coaching, being an agent. I've learned a lot. Um, it's a small community, but the things that take place in the clubhouse and in the in the community of baseball, you can believe on a larger scale are taking place in the world that we live in. And every day we get closer to someday you being an owner. The National Stars, I mean, you do you sit up at night thinking about it? You getting excited? I know we're kind of a ways away, but it's getting closer. I mean, uh, with the A's potential move, we're hearing Tampa's starting to get situated. It's getting closer for you. Time is flying, and I mean, we're already in the we're already in the middle of the sixth month of this year that just started. It seemed Crazy. like fifteen yeah. minutes ago. And so time is flying. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the ownership ownership piece of it. Um, what I what I do spend time thinking about is is how to make it happen and applying the things that are necessary to make it happen. Because there's a lot of work to be done um, before I can say I am that guy, and I'm making sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Well, I know you haven't wanted to announce it because it will be a big announcement, but. Uh... I will be Dave's general manager once he starts the Nashville <laughs> Stars. We've really talked about it. Uh, I appreciate that uh, fifth-year option on my contract. I think we're going to have a winner. I think we're really going to have a winner. I, 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 the fact that you believe in me as a baseball man, I, I really I, – I, that, that means a lot to well, me. One thing I know, Tony, is that in these meetings, we will get it like it is. Well – I already asked him for the because I'm not asking. I don't want a broadcaster's job. I know. I, I if I know a guy who's owning a team, I'm going to the top. I want to be the GM. And it was immediate no. I've already been turned down for the gig. An immediate no. But at some point, seriously, you're going to have to like. That's the crazy thing about expansion is a lot of people don't think about it. It's like because I remember back with like, whether it was the Marlins or the Diamondbacks is you start your minor league starts playing first. Mm -hmm. So like the, the first Marlin to ever throw a baseball is 49ers general manager and pro football Hall of Famer John Lynch. Remember, wow. he's a pitcher at Stanford. That's right. He pitched the first game ever as a double A Marlin. The ball's in the Hall of Fame. Wow, that's unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. People don't know that. You don't think about uh -huh. that. But, yeah, you, you will start with, I don't know if you'll start double-A or triple-A, but you'll start a minor league team before the big league team well, ever plays. I think the plan is to, to start them both because, you, I mean, we're going to have to be able to feed our major league team. And so you you start with both a double-A and a triple-A affiliate um, in the first year of play as an organization. And then the second year of play, um, You've got your expansion draft, and you're you're putting your players on the field, and you're playing baseball in the second year. So, um, you know, we're in 23 now, and, and we have to probably start putting together um, staff and office personnel, scouting, um, and your development people uh, probably in 25. Well, you will not be here on Sunday, and it's not because you didn't want to work. It's because you're going into another Hall of Fame. And obviously – you know, one of the great things about having you on and doing television with you is it's just not sitting here talking about your what you did as a player, but it's your experience of everything from the agent to the general manager to a pitching coach. But going back to you as a player, it was an unbelievable career. You were yeah. truly one of the – when I was growing up, you were the big game hunter. You were that guy known as the 20-game winner. 
And uh, going into the, another Hall of Fame, congratulations, because you. Uh, you deserve it. Thank you. I have to say, and, and, and probably I don't say it enough, but the, the truth is, man, I was, I was really, really blessed to have the opportunity. And when I look at, you know, my whole story, you know, a kid that was literally blocks away from the Coliseum and sneaking in the ballpark and, you know, meeting Reggie Jackson and my first encounter with Willie Mays and, you know, joining the Dodgers organization uh, with Roy Campanella being the first person I met, and then Don Newcomb shortly after that. And um, I've really had a really, really blessed life in the game of baseball, and it's um, I, 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 I'm just honored that um, that I've had the opportunity to play. I really am. And then, you know, in your career, when you bring the Boys and Girls Club out and you beat up Pat Corrales before the game, during the game, I mean, yeah, you're, you're a man of the people. If you didn't hear that story yesterday on Ace Pregame Live and see the video, it's one of the funniest stories ever. Absolutely outstanding. It was crazy, but shoot. <laughs> Most embarrassing moment in my career was that It was that a great day. right hand, though. It was a great right hand. <laughs> yeah, it was the most embarrassing day in my career. It took place that day, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> well, enjoy Sunday. You deserve everything, and we'll see you on television in a little bit. See you shortly. Coming up next, Eno Sears from The Athletic right here on A's Cast Live. Ace Cast Live continues from the studio. Here's Chris Townsend. I just booked a guest for Tuesday. The great David Feldman Feldy will be live on the field for a another great top eight, ten. Top A's top ten that we put on Green and Gold history. The greatest guys who played for both the A's and the Yankees. Yeah, we were trying to do this last time and it didn't work out with Feldy. I don't know if he was doing NBA playoffs or. You know, he has like eight jobs, so he was busy, but we're going to make this one so work. So I already, I already threw to uh, the great David Feldman my number one. Do you know who my number one is? Uh, a is Yankee? Yeah. Giambi. Nope. Mm, great. I don't know who. Louis Polonia. Oh. All right. All right, I don't right. know if he makes the list, by the way, the door. Hold on. Well, here, I'll play Eno's open because he's here. Fieldwork Brewing Company, with eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Hello, Eno Saris. How are you? Are you there? Yeah, can you hear me now? I, I can hear you now. How are you? I'm doing good. Sorry, the buds didn't work. Where 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 are you today? I'm on my way to go camping for my birthday. Really? Taking a little time off. I like it. Yep, gonna go find a river and float down it. That's not you taking the family doing the whole deal? Nope, nope, I'm going without them. Oh, this is this a boys' trip? Yeah. <laughs> do, do we have some field work beer in the back and you're gonna float down the river with some field work? One thousand percent. Add a baby. All right, so we'll uh, do a little baseball before your birthday. By the way, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. And not many times when when you have kids, you get to have the boys' trip for your birthday. So uh, kudos to the wife for allowing that. Yeah, yeah, that's very nice of her. 
obviously, we, we've got the Toronto Blue Jays and the Oakland Athletics going after it. I, I mean, when you start to look at the AL East and you're looking at teams, whether you're talking about the Yankees, you're talking about the Blue Jays, obviously the Red Sox, how do you think they're all looking right now and feeling when they look up? Obviously, it's like Tampa's kind of running away with it, and sticking with Tampa is Baltimore. The rest, the other three, even though even though they want to think they're still in it, they got a long way to go. Are they all just thinking wild card at this point? Yeah, I think I think you know I don't know. I mean, I I think the good news is it's probably the best division in baseball. I mean, their worst team is above five hundred. And, um, you know, so the good news is they're all good teams. They can continue to build, and, and they're, they're in a good spot. But, yeah, I do think that a lot of those guys lower down are thinking wild cards at this point. I think the most fascinating one is the Red Sox because I think there are two games above 500 right now, but they're in last place. Yeah. Uh, you know, and because of the extra wild card, what we're seeing is there's so many fewer sellers. You know, there's and, and so it might end up being a seller's market, um, you know, because teams will say, well, you know, we're a good win streak from being getting back in it. And uh, and so I wonder if a team like the Red Sox and a team like the White Sox, who, you know, they still have percentage points. They can still make the postseason, but they could also benefit a lot by being one of the sellers and maybe, you know, selling something that's not attached to, to next year's team. All right, that here's – Right there, when you talk about Red Sox, we're hearing that there is—I don't want to say a, a, a riff, but things aren't things aren't great in Boston with Cora and Heim Bloom. The whole Heim Bloom era in Boston has been mediocre, if not not very good. They're not happy. They 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 see themselves as they should as a big market powerhouse. He's been running them like they're a middle class raise. So <laughs> when 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 I look at Boston, like if they if you said you know what maybe selling some of your pieces is what's best for the future, but if that happens, will Hein Bloom retain his job? You know, I, and I, I think it's the same question in Chicago, but a little bit more dire. You know, in, at least in Boston, at least they're winning some games. They're above 500. And, you know, he's kept their balance sheets cleaned in the, into the future, right? You know, there's not that many long-term deals there. That's what probably angers Cora. But at the same time, you know, Boston's in a better place than the Chicago White Sox. Correct, yeah. And the same, the same leadership has been in Chicago for 10 years now. And so if they do sell, it's going to be, you know, when you do sell, if you sell big, you're saying to your owner, I need another five years. Ooh. You know, we're starting a rebuild. And if you go to Jerry Reinsdorf, who may not have five years left, and you're asked for another five years, he may say, man, I gave you all ten years. You're out, you know. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe the White Sox won't sell, and maybe the, the Boston Red Sox won't sell either because of sort of internal pressure like that. Well, if no one's selling, how are you going to buy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went through it, and, you know, the the most available uh, starting pitcher out there is probably, uh, if it's not Lucas Giolito, um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not sure who it is. You know, there's not wow. a real uh, obvious uh, another arm out there, so. Uh, that's why I was trying to put James Paxton on that list. He's not signed for next year. Maybe the Red Sox sell him. Maybe you, you, you trade Giolito, but Strowman uh, maybe. Among, 
Maybe, but you know the Cubs are are, are still in it. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a terrible division, and they're above five hundred, or at least at five hundred. So, um, you know, I I, I think there's going to be a lot of people. Uh, I think this trade deadline may end up being a dud, and if it is a dud, uh, you know, Bridge Giroli on our on our three O show had the idea to maybe why not extend the deadline two weeks. So that more teams know they're in, they're out, and maybe you create more sellers. Well, yeah, extend it all the way till maybe September and just say, hey, it's the last month you can't make any moves. Well, because at some point, you don't want guys to be able to show up out of nowhere and be able to play in the postseason. So how about we no, just – I know, yeah. Like how August 14 or September 1, a hard, maybe yeah. a hard deadline, no waiver claims, none of them like that, you know. Yeah, because then you're going to have teams by that point go, hey, we gave it all the way to August. It's just not working. Because what happens now is all these GMs and assistant GMs are all talking to each other because you got to send your scouts out to look at other teams, minor league systems, to see what you would want. And then you start you start sending lists to each other. There's a process to this trade, to, tr- to this trading business. So there's a lot that go- a lot of work that goes into it. And if you start trading like in July, like let's say mid-July or even early July, you're telling your fan base, we're done, we're out, we're waving the white flag, and then the owner goes, hey, I'm not going to sell any tickets in late July, August, or September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of different reasons to, to maybe extend the deadline. So I think I'll be really fascinated to see how this deadline goes because I, don't, I just don't have to see that many sellers. And a team like Washington – you know, they just don't have that much to sell. You could get Lane Thomas, decent outfielder, play some center. Um, but their best assets are probably Mackenzie Gore and maybe Josiah Gray. But those were the results of other trades. That's the <laughs> Juan you, Soto trade. I'm not giving up the guys yeah. that I got for Juan Soto. That's how you sold your fan base on, yeah. on trading Soto if you got those guys. So, yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be a difficult one. So, uh I don't know. I don't know how teams are going to improve at the deadline. I think we're going to hear a lot of, "Oh, our injured guy is coming back," and that's going to be a uh, that's going to be an acquisition from within. <laughs> well, I mean, if you it, let's just say though, if the White Sox aren't sellers, there's not a whole lot out. There's not. I, I know you can get a reliever, a Bard. You can get from the Rockies. I mean, the A's don't have much to sell. I mean, the bad teams are really bad teams, and the bad teams don't have a whole heck of a lot to sell. Yeah, and I think the A's have somewhat of the same problem where, you know, they made a lot of trades and they don't have a lot to go, go for it. So even if a team came calling and said, we, we like Sears, well, you know, we traded a lot to get Sears and we yeah. got him for a lot of years. So I'm not sure that we want to turn around and trade him again. So maybe Blackburn, uh, you know, could, could bring something back. But, yeah, uh, it's going to be a weird deadline for sure. What if I give you May – Aletmus Diaz, Jace Peterson, uh, Drew Rusinski. I'll get Jesus Aguilar back if you want. <laughs> I'll get all of them. You can have all of them. You can have all of them. What can I get for that? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> Not much. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
All right, the new rules. We keep talking about the new rules and who's capitalizing off the new rules. Obviously, the A's are with Ruiz and stealing bases, but which teams, they see new rules, they say, we like it, we're going to exploit it, we're going to be successful with them. Yeah, I think on the on the base stealing front, I think you're right uh, to point to the A's. I think they're second in the big leagues in stolen bases, um, and uh, they've been they've been taking advantage of those new rules. And they're also it's hitting them at a time when they're trying to get younger um, and more athletic. They're in that part of their rebuild phase, and that's uh, what's been happening with uh, Baltimore and Arizona. Our our teams and Pittsburgh, they're 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 also all teams in the top five in stolen bases all teams that are a little bit further ahead in the rebuild, but also like teams where there are a bunch of young players coming together at the right time. And so those stolen base rules have really, and the shift rules have really put an emphasis on, um, you know, young players that can play the, 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 the their position defensively, athletic, uh, can run the bases. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, you can't give, Pittsburgh and Arizona and all them, all the credit. It's sort of like they are rebuilding teams that sort of are in the right time in their rebuilds to take advantage of this. But it also gives you a clue of like where the sport is headed. I think the the good stuff about the new rules is we're seeing a lot more sort of young players playing, a lot more young starters debuting. We're seeing just a lot more. That's the good part of it, I think. Do you see any bad parts of the new rules? Well, uh, Arizona and Baltimore are also at the top of a weird list, pulled ground balls by left-handers. And, you know, I don't know if they're doing that on purpose or the hitting coaches are saying it, but if you take away the shift, you take away the thing that was hurting people when they pulled the ball on the ground. And, um, you know, if you take a, a player and you say, okay, power's out in front of the plate, I want you to be early. I want you to pull these fly balls you know, for power. Uh, what they're going to do is uh, pull, pull on the ground, pull in the air, and strike out. And so you have this other, these other rules that are leading more to striking out, pull-heavy approach. And you're seeing Arizona and Baltimore taking advantage of that, uh, but it may not necessarily be as good for the game. Well, the problem is most really good hitters growing up are going to pull the ball. They're not going to go the other way. So really uh -huh. pulling the ball is a more natural thing. At least for power, for sure, yeah. And power is what gets you paid, and power is what gets you drafted, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, but, and the, 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 the other team that's, like, doing things very differently are, like, the Cleveland Guardians, who make more contact than anybody in, in the sport. But they also have a second-worst league offense in the league. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily working out for them. You still have to hit for power along with the contact. That's interesting. You know, I, I, you, you start to look at the rules. It's how, how much do you think we'll see? Because it's still pretty. I guess we're not even half. The, we're not even halfway there. How much do you think we'll see a dramatic difference by the end of this year? We'll look at the data and you'll say, okay dramatically different from last year, but then five years from now when we've had the rules, how much do you think baseball will have changed? Yeah, it is interesting. Do you know that uh, as much as we've turned back the clock on, you know, the shift and, and changed um, what like a ground ball to the, the right side looks like, we've only pushed it back five years. <laughs> so, 
you know, like we, we, we have sort of gone backwards in time. And some of that, some of these rules are to like make the game a little bit more like it used to be before. Yeah. But that, that before is five and 10 years ago, not like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's definitely some long-term trends that have been slowed by these rules, but may continue to go. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, for example, you talk about, okay, well, we've limited what you can do shift-wise. This is year one. We haven't seen many teams take the outfielder from the left side and play him behind uh, the second base, you know, doing with no outfielder over there. Will we start to see more crazy outfield shifts in the next few years? And will those outfield shifts undo a lot of the, the work that the shift rule changes did? Will the, the, the sort of trend towards capturing every ball in play and using analytics to have the defender always standing at the right place, will that larger trend continue despite the new rules? And I think that is true because if I had a team and I had analytics guys at my disposal, I would say, okay, given these new rules, can you find a way for me to defend everything? You know, like, okay, new rules, fine, but put my defenders in the right place, you know, according to the rules. And so I think maybe five years from now we may have another – you know, new rule about the shift where they can't do this or they can't do this. So you can't pull the outfielder. That's be one outfielder in each section or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think this is going to be an ongoing battle. I want to throw a big fish out there that you possibly could land because I was watching it the other night. MLB Network had the showcase game as the Angels and the Dodgers as Dodger fans packed Angel Stadium there in Anaheim and Shohei Otani was pitching and I'm watching this game, and I'm saying to myself, if you lose Shohei Otani to the Dodgers and you get nothing for him, what a loss that's going to be and what an embarrassment it's going to be. Just losing Shohei Otani is going to be bad. But I was thinking, what would that be like for the Angels if they just said, listen, we know we're not going to be able to sign this guy. He doesn't want to be here. It is what it is. What if they actually just said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to take the PR hit, but we're going to do what's best for our future, and we're going to shop Shohei Otani now. I don't know what you get for him. I don't know if you're going to get the biggest haul that you think because you know he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. What are your thoughts of at least getting something for Otani before he walks? Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier about the sort of uh, the, the the politics of the GM, and you know you got this new GM in there, and you've got this owner that's wanted to win forever. You got Trout who wants to has wanted to win forever, and they're in the race, you know. So I think it would be uh, it would be a pretty bad PR hit. It, you're weighing two bad PR hits, right? The the one bad PR hit is giving up on a on a on a on a potential playoff bid in the middle of it when you when you haven't had one, you know. Uh, and the other playoff, the other PR hit is seeing Shohei in LA next year, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, right there and not get anything for him. Uh, I, I, what we've heard, uh, is that mostly it's, you know, they're not going to shop them, but if they have a, a bad couple of weeks here, uh, in, in the next couple of weeks, I think that could change because we're seeing, you know, these trade ideas, there was a trade idea on, uh, MLB TV. Uh, today that included, uh, you know, getting unloading uh, Anthony Rendon's contract oh. and uh, and adding somebody. It was to the to the Mets, and I don't I don't have it all right here in front of me, but it included like Brett Beatty 
their defense, their third baseman there, um, and a bunch of prospects. I don't know if it included Francisco Alvarez, their hot uh, catcher, but it was like two really good prospects, uh, some younger arms, and also take Anthony Rendon off our hands. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think, you know, you put those out and everyone's like, oh, that's crazy from the Mets side. They're like, no, you can't have our young guys and, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. But I, mean, I think it'll take something like that. He's uh, probably the best. He'd be the, pr- the, the best player available at the deadline in the last whatever years. I mean, like ever, you know, <laughs> so – uh, you know, he can re- he can help you in two places in where everybody wants a starting pitcher, everybody wants a hitter. Wow, I got both. I got player. both. I got b- one yeah. guy. I got both. <laughs> yeah. All righty. You could maybe you could even trade him to the Dodgers if he's going to end up there anyway. They have yes. a lot of young players. You know, get Miguel Vargas and some other pieces, and he gets he goes to L.A. anyway, and uh, L.A you know, tries to sell him on, on being a Dodger for the next month. That's, I mean, that's the San Francisco Giants way. They always like bringing people in, learn the culture. You love it here. Then you sign it. It'd be the same thing. Bring him in now. Well, and, and evaluate and evaluate. They brought Chris Bryan in and decided they didn't want to be a part of that next contract. Yeah. I think it'd be, I mean, at least if I'm going to lose him, no matter what, I might as well get something for him. Cause what's going to, you know, the, if the angels don't make it to the playoffs, they're not a wild card team and you just lose them. Wow. That's going to be tough. All righty, my friend, happy birthday. Enjoy your boys weekend down the river and we will talk to you next week. All right. Thanks for having me. The great Eno Sarah. You have his closing. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. MVP of the day? You know who the MVP of the day is? No. Mrs. Eno Saris. Oh, for letting him go on a guy's trip, yes. It's your birthday. Go on the, the 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 river with your buddies and have a good time. I never got that. My wife was in San Diego this week, and she's going away next week. I never got that. My wife's traveled more in the last month than I have in the last five years. I never heard. It's Father's Day. Go play golf all day with your buddy. No, I never got that. Well, I don't. I don't have Father's Day yet. Be with your kids. Your I, your daughters and your and your son. And my imaginary <laughs> son, who I won't let play for a Giants team. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> I'm wearing that stupid black and orange. Um, yeah, I never had that. Never had the, oh, it's your 40th birthday. Go. Nope, never had that. The only one you got was uh, the Masters. That was after my birthday, too. Yeah. That wasn't technically my birthday. It was like almost a month after. The Masters trip was like the greatest trip ever. Never got to go float on the river and drink beers with your buddies. Mrs. Enoceris, you are the star of the game. Coming up next, the manager of the Oakland Athletics as we're getting you ready for the Athletics and the Blue Jays north of the border. Mark Kotze from the manager's room. We'll have it for you next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they got a deal for 25% off. Check it out. You go to LinkSoul.com. Remember, in the big leagues, look good, play good. 
Streaming from the A's Road studio, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Time now for the Mark Kotze Show, brought to you by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Check out their locations in the Bay Area, or you go to nestbedding.com for your bed, your mattress, your pillows, all your bedding needs. You go to nestbedding.com. Mark Kotze, how are you there in Canada? Oh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great day. It's a new day. Um, as you can see, the Canadian flags in the background. Yeah. And, uh, They've made some changes to the ballpark, which we've uh, gone out and looked at, and um, got early hitting starting here in about two minutes. So, all is well. Now, when you think about the changes, it was already a place to hit home runs. I know they brought the fences in. Just how different is it there at Rogers Center? Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, obviously, uh, first game tonight uh, in this new kind of venue, even though it's the old venue. Um, you know, so I know they, they've changed, made changes aesthetically to uh, to the bullpen, um, obviously to the outfield, um, the bleachers behind the fence. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I would assume the ball is going to carry the same, which, uh, if, you know, the fence is being brought in, would probably play a little bit more to the offensive side. Yeah, well, the one good thing going into this series, no question for your ball club, is the fact that, man, your pitching has completely changed what have you seen from your starters to your bullpen? You're getting far better efforts from your pitching staff. Yeah, we really are, you know, and uh, it's unfortunate these last uh, six, seven, eight games, you know, we haven't been able to capitalize and and win uh, during this during this stretch. Uh, pitching has really given us an opportunity, um, you know, and, you know, from the starting, you know, five that have gone out there, uh, you know, getting it deeper into games. You know, we've used the opener a few times, which – you know, Medina and Harris have both benefited from, um, you know, and, and really um, the conversation comes down to offensively, you know, doing more to add on during during the course of the game. And, and you know, we've lost what would we lose five consecutive six run or one run games. And uh, and really in those games, you know, you you look at the mistakes that we've made, um, you know, the opportunities that we've left out there. Um, really, it could be a, a completely different uh, outcome. Uh, if we start really you know, taking care of the small details. How frustrating is that to go from winning seven in a row to now the losing streak you're on? It's the highs and lows seem to be so dramatic. <laughs> they have been. Um, but, you know, Tony, the, the thing that we continue to focus on is where we've come from. Uh, you know, April was was just a really, really, really bad month. Um, you know, May, we, we got one game better. Um, you know, June, we got off, like you said, to a great start. We, we won seven consecutive games. So, um, you know, it's in there, um, you know, but the consistency is really what, we're, what we need from, from the offense. And, um, you know, I think that would allow us, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough when, when the bullpen comes in and, and they're trying to secure a one-run lead, um, you know, the majority of the time, you know, it would be nicer to, to give them some cushion to allow them to make a mistake where it doesn't penalize us and cost us games. But, um, it has been a, a season of ups and downs and, uh, you know, but again, we, we, we still have that message of, uh, time is our ally to change the narrative. Well, you changed the narrative with the staff and you got to give Scott Emerson a lot of credit and let's just go through some of the guys. I mean, with the last two outings you've seen from J.P. Sears, both times he's gone seven innings. You've allowed him to stay out there. You've allowed him to go over 100 pitches. Talk about the confidence you're gaining with this left-hander. Yeah, you know, for J.P., um, again, you know, you look at where he was at the end of last season. 
uh, coming into spring training, you know, the expectation level was was still that he would be in the rotation. And, uh, you know, April was a tough month for him. He got beat up pretty well. Um, you know, he he had to make changes to, um, you know, how he pitches at this level. Um, he was a, a big carry guy, uh, forcing guy at the top of the zone, and he was giving up, you know, quite a few home runs early on. And we've kind of uh, brought something into his into his game where he's now more uh, lower third. He understands the importance of, of spotting a fastball down and away and what it can do for him and the power of the changeup. And, you know, Scott Emerson's been a component of the changeup for – a long, long time in this organization. He believes in it. He teaches it. Um, we got away from it a little bit and maybe in development side in the minor leagues. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going back to it. And I think you're seeing the success of it, especially with JP. What is the main change in James Caprellian from all the time you have known him and especially the last two times that he's gone down, back down to Las Vegas to where he is today? Well, I think, Tony, it, it, you know, you can look at uh, execution, pitch execution, game plan. You know, uh, the slider definitely does get more swing and miss right now. Um, you know, the fastball doesn't have the velocity that it had. So now he's focusing more on execution. And, and, and I think he's finding out that you can still pitch in this league at 91 to 93 uh, if you don't leave, you know, the fastball uh, on the thirds. If you can, if you can paint on the edges and, and mix your change up in as well. Uh, that there's success there. And uh, I mean, nobody better than to, to look at than, than a guy like Kyle Hendricks with, with the Cubs. He pitches at 86 to 88, and yet he goes out and posts. I think he had at one point this season 23 scoreless innings. So really the execution and the change of speeds, I think, for James has is, is, uh, been of importance and, and a bit of uh, growth in that area. Yeah, I mean, focusing on the pitching, because really the pitching has been good. And I think of a, a guy like Medina, when I watch him and I see it's a it's a God-given ability to throw the baseball, he does, and he's very athletic. So it's like it's almost like I don't worry so much about the numbers because I look at what he's got, and he's got the potential to be something special. He's another one that, you know, in the second half, I'm really curious to see how he turns it around. Yeah, you know, going into the second half, I mean, we do have to take notice that none, none of these guys that we've just mentioned, um, we haven't even mentioned Hogan Harris, who's who's been yeah. exceptional as well since he's returned. But for Harris, for Medina, for Sears, even Waldachuk in his role, I mean, they haven't experienced a, a season uh, at the major league level and the grind that, that's coming and that's ahead of them in August and in September when they're going to, you know, reach uncharted waters for them. that They, they haven't thrown 150 innings uh, at any point in their career. So uh, managing that workload um, is one one thing that we're going to keep, stay focused on, but also, you know, continuing to try to set these guys up for success. You know, Medina, you know, the, the last outing for Medina was, was great. Um, you know, we brought him in behind. Um, you know, Waldachuk and, and that combination gave us basically six full innings of, of one run baseball. And, uh, you know, I think that that we're doing things creatively, which, you know, we're, we had to um, based on the success that we weren't having and uh, and getting these guys into these right roles and these right situations to uh, to build confidence, really going into the second half. I know a lot of it, I know a lot of people are frustrated with the offense right now, but I want to highlight one guy that has really turned it around, and I think it's good for the clubhouse. It's good for everybody. Talk about what you've seen with Tony Kemp. Yeah, you know, TK, you know, it's no secret what he's gone through this season. You know, I think he felt the full load of expectations put on him uh, coming out of the gate. 
and uh, you know it, it just didn't go well. Um, you know, and it's not for a lack of work. Everyone knows that, or lack of desire. Or, um, you know, it's almost to the point where he was trying just too hard. And uh, you know, he he didn't bury his head. He didn't pout. Uh, he came in as a pro. He worked every day. Waited for that opportunity. Um, you know, we found the right time to put him back into the lineup. Um, and, and, you know, give him the best chance for success and, and he's taken to it. And, and it's no, you know, no secret that we needed that from TK and uh, it's great to, to have him back in this lineup. And actually tonight against uh, one of his former teammates, Chris Bassett, he'll be, uh, he'll be leading off. Yeah. That's something over the weekend. You're going to see uh, a couple XAs. How's that going to be? Of course, Matt Chapman over third base. It's always fun to see these guys, you know, they grew up in this organization, um, you know, Chris Bassett, if you want to look at an example for our young starters, came a long way. Um, you know, I think from 2016 to, to where he got in 2020 with us. And, you know, that that's that's something to look forward to. And, uh, you know, we'll go up against him tonight. Uh, it'll be great to, to watch him compete. He's the ultimate competitor. And uh, we're going to try to do some things to him tonight to uh, to disrupt that rhythm and, and uh, get him out of his game. Now, we've talked before, and Tony Kemp was one of the guys we talked about when, when, when you look at veteran guys starting to struggle and, and then have a long struggle. How about young guys? How about a guy like Langoliers? What do you do for a young player? You remember what it was like to be a young player. We've talked about it. What do you try and do for the young players to get them going again? Yeah, you know, um, in, in his particular situation, it's, it's uh, you know, just working through these struggles and trying to keep him confident and understanding, you know, on my end that he's got my support, that, that we're here, we're going to keep working, um, you know, to make these necessary adjustments to, to bring more success offensively. I think on the defensive side, this kid's grown up so much. Uh, the game planning's better, the pitch calling's better, the sequencing's better, um, you know, so we've seen the growth on the defensive side and and this is the toughest position in the big leagues to really come up here and, and have immediate impact, immediate success. And, um, you know, for, for Shea, it's just it's going to continue to be a grind for him uh, to make these adjustments and uh, offensively, you know, get get to where we believe he can get and, and where he wants to be. You know, he's never really struggled at this point uh, at any at any length of time in his career. And, and he's going through it right now. So the message is, hey, we're going to stick with you. We're going to grind with you and, and we're going to keep working. You know, it's always that easier said than done. It's easy for us, you know, after a game to go, you know what, if you're not hitting, still just concentrate on your defense. It's about still playing defense. I just, it, it seems like it's easy to say how hard is that when you are struggling to say, yes, I still need to concentrate on my defense, even though you just, the weight of the world feels like it's on your shoulders when you're not hitting. Yeah, no, it does, you know, and I think, you know, we're, we're trying to give him, um, you know, the best chances to, to have success. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a competitor. And so at, at any point, you know, I think the mindset for him is, um, you know, you come to this field every day knowing there's new opportunity um, and you're going to get a new chance to, to go out and have success. And, you know, I think he has the right mentality uh, to, to get through this. And, and, you know, I get that it's difficult when you're struggling offensively to, to really hone in um sometimes but i don't see that from shea at all you know when i think about hitting with runners in scoring position it's almost like surfing right there's at some point here comes some here comes a set of great waves and then they kind of disappear and then here comes a set again it's never really consistency uh, or i should say consistent throughout a season how how's that something you work on how do you get better at it how do you turn around hitting with runners in scoring position 
Yeah, I think, you know, as a group, they they're working on their, you know, mindset. And it's it's really a, a fighting type of mindset that you have to make a commitment to, um, you know, not not thinking about hitting a homer, just thinking about putting the ball in play and, and taking the right approach. Uh, for each at bat, we talk a lot about approach. You know, it changes; it can change pitch to pitch. And the at bat, if you know, you got a, a kid like Ruiz on first base, and now he's on second with nobody out. If Noda's behind him, now the, the the goal is to get him to third base. And sometimes he gets to third base on his own, and now the whole at bat changes. That I got to get him in, and you know, those those type of uh, situations for young players, slowing the game down and understanding that, you know, hey, pitch to pitch, we've got to change our approach. We've got to change what we're looking for. So we're going to continue that message. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for these guys, um, you know, collectively is, is, is just seeing that competitive uh, mindset and that competitive approach uh, in, in the right way uh, to be successful with these runners in scoring position. Well, I keep saying it. I think it's good for the young players to see great competition. You got the Blue Jays. Then you're going to come home, have the day off on Monday, and then you got the New York Yankees. So the next time we'll talk to you will be next Friday against the Chicago White Sox. But let's just end on this. When you look at for young players, seeing good teams, what does that mean for them to play against them, to watch them, and to learn from them? Yeah, I think it's it's a great opportunity for us. Uh, you know, we we went through the Braves, we went through the Pirates and the Brewers um, at a time when both those teams were were contending for first place in the Central Division. Um, we know we can compete. We we have to do things. And again, I, I send this message constantly: is is taking care of the details and the fundamentals, and not giving away outs on bases, and not giving away the outs. You know, when when we're on defense, um, you know. To compete against these really good teams, the margin of errors is minimal, and uh, we understand that. We've got to go out and play a good baseball game, and uh, and I think that we can still have this opportunity to, to win games uh, against the elite teams. And and you know you watch uh, these teams and their approaches and and how they handle you know hitting with runners in scoring position and moving runners over and then the small details to the game. And and there's no question that you know in watching that uh, you know we can learn from it, um, but we also know that we can compete with these guys. Well, keep grinding. Enjoy Canada. And next thing you know, we'll be back home taking on the New York Yankees at the Coliseum. Be well. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. It's the Mark Kotze Show brought to you by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Check out their locations in the Bay Area for your mattress, for your pillows, your sheets, all your bedding needs. You go to one of their stores or go to nestbedding.com. That's nestbedding.com, the proud sponsor of the Mark Kotze Show. And that's going to do it for Ace Cast Live today. We want to thank Ben Schulman. We want to thank Dave Stewart, Eno Saris, and Mark Kotze for joining Chris Townsend here on Ace Cast Live. Ace Total Access brought to you by Chevron is next with Alex Jensen. We'll talk to everyone on Tuesday ahead of the Yankees game at 4 o'clock right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they got a deal for 25% off. Check it out. You go to LinkSoul.com. Remember, in the big leagues, look good, play good. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.